Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Miniatures Every Other Monthly. <laughs> yeah, we got around to it eventually. <laughs> we did. After an extremely busy month since our first uh, live Miniatures Monthly in Cardiff. Yeah, it feels like um, we've both been stuck in some sort of time warp where that seems like a different year. It almost, did, yeah. Like a different to such an dimension. extent that I actually forgot that it had happened. Yes. And that it was a real thing that we, that, you know, we and, and, and 30 to 40 lovely people put loads of time and energy into. <laughs> yeah, sure. She just got eclipsed by one of the busiest months of, of, of my life. It's been nice <laughs> to kind of, uh, in preparation for today's pod, look back at it and go, Oh yeah, that happened. And it was awesome. Yeah, that did happen. And it was awesome. Um, so yeah, apologies, uh, 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 that we, we missed, um, a month again. Um, but we're back now, uh, to round off the year with, uh, a, a sleepy meditation <laughs> on, uh, recent hobby stuff. Mm. Um, I am Chris Thurston. I forgot to introduce myself and that is Tom Senior. Hello. Here <laughs> again. Back to talk about the miniatures. Yeah. So, um, I think because we have left such a big gap, um, it doesn't, there's not really much mileage in talking news, I think. Yeah. Not a huge amount has really grabbed me as well towards the end of the year. There've been some nice battle force boxes, things like that, but nothing that has been like, whoa, need to do this. Yeah. I found that it's like actually been quite nice to have a kind of, um, a sober dismount to the, <laughs> yes. to the year. Um, in that I, I actually quite like the look of a lot of things. I realized looking at, looking at all of them, like almost all of the battle forces made me, which are to clarify the hundred pound army in a box deals mm. that Games Workshop do over Christmas. You save a lot of money on those things. You do. So uh, almost all of them made me go, I do want that. Mm. Um, yeah, so much so that I've decided to buy none of them. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't caved. No, like, uh, so, you know, I was tempted by the Safe to Darkness one because it's a good deal. Yeah. Um, some models I have already, like the Manticore, but you can always have two Manticores. You can. Um, uh, I, I, you know how I feel about Eidneth. That's a very good deal box as well. It's a lovely box as I've well. wanted to dry brush some dinosaurs for a long time. Mm, it's a yeah. Even part of me is a bit like, you know, there's things I like about Daughters of Cain. Uh, <laughs> that could be an interesting painting challenge to kind of like work yeah, with yeah. the, 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 and the new models are great. Uh, I love, I love Marathi, and so I'd love an excuse to paint her, etc. Yeah, and the, then oh, the Admech box is really good. Oh, as well. The Admech box is really good. I have a Necron army on the works. Maybe yeah. I need to add a giant pile of more Necrons. The only issue is I have so many Necron overlords. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them <laughs> from various sources, yeah. and I really don't want to paint the big Necron bus. Yeah. The- um, but then I was like, you know what? The one thing that put me off doing Imperial Fists a little while ago is I don't want to hand paint the, the fist symbol. They come with it this? in the box. Yeah. An upgrade sprue. Maybe I need that. Yeah. I know what you mean. That's uh, how I get you. <laughs> yeah. And so I've been on that entire journey. And then, um, also out this weekend was, um, uh, is, uh, Wrath of Rapture, which is the, the new Slanesh stuff and mm. the new, um, uh, new Karanak and the Flash Hounds. I was like, maybe I, I do have a, most of a corn army. Maybe that is responsible. Do purchase. a full chaos, uh, kind of yeah, multicolor chaos. Maybe I should buy that. And I think, you know what? I actually really like that new Manius Calgon model. Why do I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and, and then uh, the the net result of all of this spoilers um, for my Christmas plans has been: I think I just need a better box to keep my paints in, and that's about it. <laughs> that's good. Uh, I think I might have uh, dipped into one of those many sets if it wasn't the fact that I luckily got uh, Blackstone Fortress for my birthday. Hmm. and uh so far that's just given me all the hobby that i could ever want for the next sort of two or three months so i suspect that we'll we'll, we'll talk about this a bunch um we can get into it because yeah i think i think i think just opening by talking about what we've been up to hobby wise hmm. um blackstone fortress is no joke the best box 
Games Workshop have done in since I got back into the hobby. Mm. I think like it almost feels like it's come full circle. Like I got into the hobby with Silver Tower. And this yeah. is just better Silver Tower. That's and- interesting because I, I was interested in your perspective on that because I didn't buy Silver Tower or paint it. I just enjoyed playing with your models. Mm. Um, so, uh, and for me, this is my first kind of uh, experience with one of GW's kind of cream, premium, <laughs> creamium, creamium, yeah. uh, pre- <laughs> premium, no premium. Cre- Tom. Yeah, you so said premium. it, own it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of their premium, uh, just really varied, beautiful hobby boxes that is a self-contained game with its own rule set, but also all these really beautiful, varied sculpts as well. Um, and I, I wonder how how does it compare to Silver Tower as experience so far? I think, um, like miniatures wise, I think it's it's really good. Like the it, it shows off the, um the change in the technology now that push fit is more of a thing. Mm. Like I really, like I'm a big, if, if models are going to be monopose, I much prefer them to be push fit because it gives you some freedom in things like sub assemblies. Yeah. Like they're really nicely designed for like being able to take them out of the bases and things quite mm. easily. Um, and, um, I think it's a, it's a really, I think it's a less diverse set than silver tower was. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, like, um, obviously like Silver Tower had a, a, a more of a, and it, but also quite similar in some ways. Like there's, mm. you know, both of them have essentially chaos cultists, beastmen and leadership characters and, and some random gribblies and some random gribbles. Yeah. And, and, uh, a sort of, uh, a cast of heroes that represents sort of the diversity of the, the fiction. Mm. Um, but I think. Oh man, it's like, well, so there's two sides to it. I think as a box of, of models, um, it benefits a lot from feeling like such a cool exploration of a universe that you know really well, mm. but want to see that stuff. Like Silver Tower, the models are great, but you still don't really know how some of them fit into the universe. Like we don't know what faction the Mistweaver Sai is from yeah, still. That's true. Like we still don't know where the Tenebral Shard is from. He's mm. presumably from Malerian's new dark elves that don't exist yet yeah, etc yeah, right yeah. like there's a lot of stuff in there that's like the um the excelsior war priest mm-hmm. like you got free cities but there's no real faction for that character to belong to yeah it doesn't feel quite as as knitted in whereas like getting something like uh a, you know r- there's been more rogue traders around recently but like getting um you know getting a, a navigator for example mm. or like um you know, a crude mercenary, like these sort of characters from the fiction, the rogue guardsmen, which are such amazing sculpts. Yeah, yeah. It's such a really nice, um, almost feels like a treat. Like you're getting this sort of like little glimpse into a corner of the universe you wouldn't normally get. Mm. And even little subtle things like the fact that, you know, this shows, I don't know at what point they decided that, um, simply doing more female sculpts was going to be important to them. And it's certainly not, uh, a parity yet, but the fact that several of the traitor guards, uh, traitor guard are women, the fact that, uh, the, the two half of the Negavolt cultists, cause it's two sculpts basically mm-hmm. are female, like all that stuff is like just little incremental steps forward that make the whole thing feel like, you know, a kind of consolidation of lots of different things that GW have gotten good at in the last couple of years. Yeah. I really, really love the selection of heroes they've got because the easiest thing to do would be like, Here's a space marine. Here's mm. a tech priest. Here are the big heroes that you know from this universe. But when I see those models together, I think this is the start of an awesome 
awesome kind of side series novel or something. Yeah. Well, I can imagine them being in scenes. There's some really great art. There's a piece of art that I love where I think it's just called Precipice or something. And there's a, a mm. mechanic that gave for being in the precipice just before you go into the Black Soul Fortress where they're all gathered there. And this art just shows them just kind of in conversation preparing their weaponry and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to read that book. I want to see that film. I want to play through that fantasy. Yeah. And it's a different fantasy to the, the, the high powered space marine type fantasy. And there's been, um, 40k has always been great in its sort of sub fiction, uh, p- picking out the people under the surface, like your, your hive gangs and things like that, Necromunda. Mm. And this feels like a different version of that, where it's sort of picking out really important characters from th- the hidden corners of 40k lore that you have not been seen before. And the navigator for me particularly embodies that because it so fits into the 440k aesthetic and the imperial aesthetic, but it's also a completely unique thing unto itself, the design of the, ca- the character. Uh, again, it, like, it reminds me of Dune a lot as well, which uh, I love that the mm. more they lean into that stuff, like, I really enjoy that as well. Um, and it, it just paints that up, just felt, like, exciting in a way. Just, yeah. And exciting brings, like, this part of the fiction. That I think, I think they've done a really good job at the fiction. <clears throat> like, um, I, I, like, particularly the fact that, you know, Precipice, which is, yeah, so this, like, ramshackle space station, built at the edge of the Blackstone Fortress, which is itself at the center of this vast debris field. Um, the, the idea that that allows them to relax some of 40K's kind of absolute story limitations, like, you know, Xenos scum must always be set on fire. Mm. You know, having this kind of, you know, framing it, not, not having it be like, um, because obviously everyone wants the characters to work together from time to time, <laughs> but you've got to bend stories to make that work in that fiction. And a lot of the time, it's a lot of the time it's, oh, there are Tyranids. So we're all friends now. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Whereas this is really simple. It's that like basically no one, um, there's a, that part of the, the fiction booklet's really good for just explaining why, like, you know, people have to start breaking the rules of their societies mm. because otherwise no one gets anything. And it's like the, the, um, the, the, the sort of trans, the transport chambers in the Blackstone Fortress can only hold four people. So you can't send an army. So no one army can really show up to do anything. And if you make trouble on precipice, there's a kind of a, an accord in place that means everyone kills you. Hmm. So it's like, just behave yourselves, basically. It's kind of lawless, almost like a Moss Eisley type thing where yeah. individuals who are willing to sort of let slip their, the bounds of their social, you know, responsibilities can work alongside each other. And the Crute mercenary in particular, it just that reminds me so much of Star Wars. Like mm. that could be a character in the background, and Mos Eisley canteen just making deals with other people, and so much of that character just you can sort of see intuit a lot about what that what that personality is like from the model. And, yeah, um, I think it's quite telling that for me the weakest model from the heroes is the kind of um, f- fanatical priest mm. because that's the one that sort of doesn't quite make sense to me in that context where if they believe so much that they're just ranting and raving and there's lots of like fun stuff about the model the fact that he doesn't wield a weapon he wields a book full of he, he has a mace but it, oh he's got sorry so he, he's he has got, got a mace and he's yeah. got a book but then he's got a servo skull that carries his gun for him and does yeah. the shooting for him which is great but I don't understand why he would like be working with the other yeah like I think yeah he's like the sort of mission of faith thing but it's slightly compromised mm. like I am so um have you a chance to play it yet no no I, I did sort of like test game at, at uh live event because they had like a test table oh, of course yeah uh, and it's like it seems to be heavily reliant on um a lot of uh the previous box um what's it called the uh, silver, tower? silver tower so it seems like the, the dice pool stuff works in a similar way but there's like loads of extra like the, i would just yeah there's there's quite a few extra mechanics that yeah. are really good like, i've played two and a half full expedition's now yeah like, over the course of two afternoons 
And, um, in that we've, we've used like my two, cause if you, the way it works, one of the big differences with Silver Tower, there's lots of like little changes, but one of the things I really like is it is designed for four explorers. You must right. always have four explorers. The campaign as a whole ends if you, if they die, because they can die permanently. Mm. Um, it's, that's very different. Like, it's not like Silver Tower is designed for people to just like sort of throw together a random team and, and go on an adventure and it works really well. Mm. Whereas this, like the status of all of the explorers is kind of important, more like a kind of XCOM kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And because they can die permanently, that's one of your fail states is you can't field four, mm. basically. Um, and that's what that has allowed them to do is balance the game around there being four explorers at all times, which changes some of the kind of more finickety aspects of the kind of AI, basically, right. quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's cool about it is I've been playing it mostly uh, with my friend Will. And uh, when you've got two of you, you each have two characters. And then if there are three of you, um, you have still have four characters, but you each have you each have one. And then, um, you know, another one rotates between sort of the available players based mm. on who's the leader for a given phase. And then if there's obviously four of you, then you each get one character and so on. So it kind of scales really nicely. Yeah, yeah. So I've been playing it with my, my main being the group mercenary because, um, he's great. I, I love him to bits. He's very fun. Um, it's just an mission to eat everything and <laughs> really? turn it into experience. That's yeah, what that's he does. Cool, that's cool. Um, and the, uh, the flamer lady, uh, oh, Pius yeah. Vaughn, who, um, so she comes with the same, from the same ship as Thaddeus the Purifier, who's the Ministerium priest. Oh, okay. Because the idea that is she sense. is like yeah. a hive ganger, like a Necromunda hive ganger, who he has kind of turned into a zealot. Uh, so she's a really, she's like a fat, she's a, she's the character that everyone thought was a stormcast because of her headdress, hmm. but she's basically a 40 of a flagellant. It's really interesting, like, uh, and how she works is really fun. She's, hmm. um, but, um, uh, and, one thing I really like about it is like, I've kind of like, I, I agree that sometimes it doesn't make, it doesn't feel quite as right for me to, for there to be a minister and priest running around the corridors, bashing people on the head with a hammer. Mm. Not that anything makes loads of sense. I mean, but that's like, very 40k in its own way. But there's, um, there's a great, uh, every ship has, uh, an ability, every character has a ship, but some of them share a ship. So mm. both the, the priest and flamer lady both share uh, a ship called the clarion. Mm. And, um, which is a word that will come back later. And, um, and, um, the, Every ship has like some kind of effect on the game. Um, it, most of them have like a once per expedition ability. So like the cruise ship can do like target tracking and like cool. light up a, light up a ship. That's um, rad. Um, but the, 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 um, the clarion one is really funny based on the mind's eye sense of what happens. Mm. So basically, um, one of the things that's a big difference over Silver Tower, which I think you really like because, uh, so in Silver Tower, one of the weaknesses of it, I think is basically all the players go. And can pass, you know, kind of initiative between each other. So basically you can almost always go optimally mm. and use all their yes. actions and do stuff like that. Mm. And then the enemies go and then the players go. In this, you have, you create a deck of initiative cards, which is enemy groups one to four, which are randomly drawn. It's yeah. random scenario generation is so much better than Silver Towers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you include whatever heroes are present in that deck and you deal them out. Mm. And that is your initiative order for a given round of combat. So initiative changes every single round of combat. It's not one, it's not one set of initiative for the uh for the whole fight as it might be in a different game it's like every single turn the order changes completely and but when that order is set you have the opportunity to make what's called a gambit which is a really interesting system so what happens is if you want you can discard one of your action dice which you use in order to take actions 
any any dice of any value you discard it and that allows you to try and pass an agility check with your character and if you can do that you can swap um either up or down the initiative tracker with any enemy group uh, the cl- cool. closest enemy group mm-hmm. so you can swap them with you and if you get a critical success you can swap with any enemy group hmm. so there's this game of like do i want to sacrifice an action to try and leapfrog leapfrog the initiative because that yeah. might be really important it might be important to go first or last mm. Um, there's so much to it. Like, I feel like we could, I could bang on about how cool it is, but we should both play it because it's, you know, that sounds rad. Like, like, but the, so the, the thing that the, the Clarion does is it honks so loudly. The spaceship somehow makes such a loud and holy noise, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like exhortation to the emperor that it basically shocks everybody into being able to do a gambit for free so every <laughs> wow. single person can try and move up the initiative track oh, because of really the good. really loud holy loudspeaker it's on the, the moment of confusion and everyone's <laughs> scrabbling to get an advantage yeah like, yeah. <laughs> like um, that's fantastic. which is great yeah that's that's extremely good so you also generate uh the arenas uh, their arenas rather than just three rooms at a time which seems like a, yeah. a different dynamic as well yeah that's so that's right yeah so in silver tower you almost like build this maze that stretches out in front of you as you encounter each new room basically in this you build a deck and, and the instructions for building like your kind of exploration deck uh vary from d- depending exactly on what you're doing but there's a standard way of doing it mm. so because you, you have um so the principal way of doing it is going on an expedition and you create a deck which is um four combat encounters which are preset maps basically although mm. there's then a random element and four more like choose your own adventure type type moments cool some of which can involve having set up a map to resolve something um and some of them are more like just a description of something that happens and you have to do some kind of mini game or like some oh, test with dice in order cool, to kind of cool. like try and so like one of them is like the door opens and as it does you see a vault full of like architect but the door the door immediately closes and the security system's about to activate and you've got one round of combat to try and do 12 damage to the door right right which is really hard so everyone has to do a combat check with all of their weapons mm. and if you can do 12 damage to the door you get to get what's on the other side and if you can't the lift doors close and you go somewhere else no, that's exciting. it's like it, um that's super cool there are sort of like micro versions of that in silver tower like mm. um oh you've got to jump across this chasm stack up some dice and stuff the really fun little moments but this sounds a bit more involved it is and yeah. um and then you've got stuff like so when you then when you get the combat map you uh oh, it's so good i'm uh, bang on how good blackstone fortress is but basically you but you you set up your tiles and the beautiful like hexes basically which are uh, like go- like the production in the box is absolutely yeah stunning you you, you build the arena mm-hmm. and then the arena will have four what they're, they're called discovery markers basically one two three and four mm. each of them is the objective you've got to go and search to find the stuff you want for the campaign as a whole yeah but also each of them is also the spawn point for an enemy group and then to determine what the enemy groups are, you draw cards from the encounter deck. Um, and each card has four lines on it. So it'll be like, so if you draw, you draw the card and if you've drawn it for point one, so you take whatever's on point one. Right. So, and not, not the, basically normally the card will say it's this type of enemy, but exactly how many will depend on where what you draw node it. you draw them onto. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes instead of a node, instead of it'll be like three of them are on enemies, but if this particular card is drawn on node three, instead of spawning a group of enemies, it applies a modifier to the entire level. Hmm. Like um uh the lights have gone out. So all right. ranged combat is limited, but there's no enemy group there. Hmm. And so it's this really intricate kind of like random uh, generation random system. generation system. Right, yeah. And yeah, and yeah. it creates really interesting scenarios 
um by itself and then you get really cool things so that um that uh when you first set up the game that um encounter deck is somewhat limited it's basically urgles spindle drones traitor guardsmen hmm. uh that's basically it and then at the end of an expedition you keep going until you've either exhausted the deck or you choose to go home yeah because you can just be in a position where you can't go any further because mm. you're really badly wounded when you do that you draw a card from the legacy deck and you just add to this it comes with all of these like great ziploc bags yeah which are yeah, just for like the evolving legacy nature of the game it's a bit like pandemic legacy or something nice. like that yeah you draw one of those cards and it will instruct you to do something that changes the random generation for the future cool so some of them like one of the ways you can lose a whole campaign is if you draw all of the legacy cards before you've beaten it hmm. so some of them are just you're running out of time and this doesn't do anything it just you've drawn that that card's gone now so but sometimes it'll be like okay now take all of the encounter cards for chaos beastmen and shuffle them into the encounter deck oh, so right. like a new threat is, yeah. in, is in the deck now yeah. so rather than it being like you can't outside of some of the encounters you can't encounter certain enemies until you've done a couple of expeditions and drawn them into the deck basically uh-huh. That's it's so, smart. so good That's so smart and then yeah and then you get this kind of um great um like then you have and then you have the stronghold missions, which are basically raids, which mm. are pre-designed uh, encounters that you have to spend clues that you find in normal expeditions to attempt. Right, right. And once you've done all four of them, then you can do the attempt on the final one. Uh, yeah. And that's what gets you the access to the little envelope in There's, the box. Yeah, which is another nice pandemic legacy yeah. uh, thing as well, isn't it? Is it you're, not, you're not supposed to look in there until you've actually found no. the piece of the game. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's genuinely like, I mean, we started off talking about the hobby side of it and it's mm. a good box of models, but like, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of struck by like it's definitely like there's been so many good things this year like uh underworlds is still great kill team has been great like kill team is a really good value box Mm. but this is like this for me cements 40k is like the game i want to encounter through these little side games Mm. more than almost like the big army game to be honest yeah yeah i think we've got a question about that for later but like that's you know it's it's been such a kind of treat to like go on this kind of um uh, really consistent feeling kind of engaging adventure with really clear rules and like interesting rules as well not just sort of mm. it's there to facilitate throwing some dice it's like it's genuinely quite high level strategic as well which yeah. is awesome that, i love the idea that they've designed a proper campaign game as well yeah which is something that they've, that, uh, they've gestured out with stuff like um firestorm um with a bunch of the boxes mm. and uh even stuff like Kill Team and its predecessor, like there are, there have always been rules to make campaigns, but this feels like a game that's built entirely around almost roguelike running these dungeons over and over again and building a, a party th- through that process. It is, yeah. And it's also like, it's genuinely long. Like, right. I mean, I, you know, um, we, we've done two quite successful runs and ended up with loads of clues and stuff. Hmm. And then just like normal runs and then decided we were going to try one of the strongholds. And time is obviously, you know, you want to do that when you can because time is against you. Yeah. Uh, we drew one of the harder looking strongholds, but also when you drew that, you also, there's like, uh, each stronghold has instructions f- for how to build the encounter deck. So you don't just go and do the stronghold. Yeah. You still have to do a certain number of layers of the dungeon normally. And this particular one called the death maze, which is hard. Promising. Um, you have to do four encounters before you get to it. But unlike normal where you try and balance the number of combat encounters and like, text encounters basically um you just shuffle the entire encounter deck and draw four 
Hmm. And so it could be anything. Yeah, it could be like, hello to Space Marines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And which is really tough. Hmm. And like, and, uh, we got, uh, we got, this is maybe the only downside to it is we got in a sort of roguelike style completely screwed by that random generation, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because the first thing on the top of the deck was an encounter um one of the kind of like special encounters which is called isolated and the idea is that one of the explorers has been separated mm. and so you set up just one of the bigger tiles so it's just one small room uh with and you place that one explorer in it and then you 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 have three enemy spawns and they're randomly drawn and they're randomly drawn so there's it can be like you get a little bit lucky and it's like some modifiers two spindle drones and a couple of urgles and mm. you're all right but unfortunately i drew the encounters for eight traitor guardsmen, six traitor guardsmen, oh and four urgles. <laughs> so that is all of the traitor guardsmen. That's yeah, all 14. Yeah. And, and they, there were so many of them, they barely fit. <laughs> and it was just, and, and then you randomly draw which explorer it is that's gotten lost oh, as well. No. And I drew the crew tracker. And, um, and so it was just the crew against like a firing squad of uh, oh, 14 people. And, and urgles rip you to pieces as well if they get close right. and they start really close. Yeah. Like, the crew tracker, he has an amazing ability, which I love, which is after you set up the board, but before initiative is drawn, he can do one free move and use his special ability once, which is to place a mine. Oh, cool. So at the start, he, normally it feels really cool because he's almost like always the first person sprinting out of the lift and you almost agree this corridor because the mine goes off when anyone steps on it. Right. But it's usually enough to kill a weak enemy. So you just lock it down. Just like this corridor, we're not going to worry about, you know, it's all urgles down that way. So they'll come running down the corridor eventually and we'll just hold this line here. Yeah. Basically like he synergizes really nicely with the, uh, the flamer lady because flamer lady can just keep firing flamer yeah. like she can just lay down these two tokens that means she makes an attack against anyone who walks through the fire basically mm. and that persists from when she acts until the next time she acts so she just keeps it flaming that down yeah. and so you can do this like lockdown area stuff but in that scenario we just absolutely shafted yeah and i took four grievous wounds which means that he has a block on every single one of his activation things which means he can only act by using destiny dice which are mm. the random dice they're like are they like a shared Pool that's a well. shared pool yeah and there's no way of healing that you can only heal that by going back to precipice gotcha so we just went back to precipice because <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. like, it's like this because <laughs> it's like the, we, we've got to do the hardest boss encounter in the game mm. four encounters from now mm. and we've just effectively lost a person just on that draw yeah so that 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 stings a story though a bit but it's a good story yeah and and it might be that that you know we just spent four of our clues for that and one of our expeditions and we've got to draw another legacy card and that's going to add complexity. Hmm. So the whole thing slows, you know, that, that slows our rundown massively. It's like, um, it feels a lot like failing a mission in XCOM, hmm. you know, where you, you're like, Oh shit, I'm behind the clock now. Yeah. Got to like, catch up. They've got to do, you got to speed up or do something, get a good win next time around. Yeah. Like so, and it could be that costs us the run. And this is taken like, you know, each of those expeditions took most of an afternoon. Yeah. And like, so it's kind of nuts how long it potentially is in order to beat it. Like, I don't think I'll beat it first time. It has stakes then. Like, yeah, that that makes it tense. That makes it, you know, that that sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but we've both been painting those models. Mm. Um, like this has been my, I haven't had very much time for painting lately, but this has been a real treat doing those and weirdly for the first time i think in the history of management monthly we've both been painting the same models we have in this like pretty much the same order as well like we've both seem to have instinctively started with the same heroes yeah heroes wise yeah because I, I did the did i did the spindle drones and the urgles because oh, yeah. yeah. they're really quick and easy. They, look, they look pretty easy yeah. basically one of them is like dry brushing and the other is glazes hmm. and it's just they're Top delicious it's so, it's so easy <laughs> they look great as well uh, but yeah, we've both done the Crute and we've both done the, um, Navigator, mm. Esper and Locarno. 
Um, yeah, and I've done the, I finished the robot as well. Oh, cool. Which is, uh, that's a, another awesome character. Could have been just a big dumb mech, but mm. really cool backstory and stuff. Yeah, really fun in the game as well. Oh, good. Cause his, um, his inspire condition, which is a thing they've inherited from Shadespire, mm. is, um, just to squeeze a robot to death. <laughs> he, his inspire condition is, has squeezed a spindle drone to death. Basically. <laughs> oh, wow. That's all he wants to do. That's all he wants. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed, um, I'm trying to think if there's like something specifically I've, so I think one thing I found, about um the doing these is i've really enjoyed going and i think you've done the same thing going for the box color scheme like mm. it feels like the art is so good i i don't really want to make my versions of these characters like no. i want to do those characters yes I agree and i find that really gratifying actually mm. yeah same here uh, first thing i noticed was that they are of, on a different scale to what i'm used to painting uh so i started with the navigator which uh, i've already explained why i love the style of it but compared to the stormcast they're like sort of 55 percent the size yeah he's uh, very wee very, very small um lots of cool details so i found that um i was struggling a little bit with the scale almost mm. uh, but not in a way that put me off at all but i have uh, asked for um a kind of clamp on magnifier uh tool for, yeah. for christmas now because like i realized that my eyesight's not that great anyway and i actually probably do need a bit of extra if i'm going to be going to like painted proper 28 mil uh scale models because it's almost like sometimes the details so small and if the the color is uniform or quite dark it could be actually quite difficult to see where the raised areas are on such a small mm. miniature even with a good lamp so um yeah i've, I've kind of been kept trying to work with that uh I, but i don't think it's really affected because the, the model itself is quite well pr- sectioned into different areas yeah. so you've got a lot of purple on the robes got a lot of nice gold which i'm quite used to for you know the, a lot of the chest plate and the, and the helmet and stuff like that um and i really enjoy playing t- painting the floor mm. uh there's a very good warhammer tv video about like how to paint the kind of lit streaks of kind of the laser floor the laser floor basically <laughs> and it looks great and it's actually sets sets off the colors of the miniatures really well because none of the color schemes really use those colors precisely yeah. uh, so you get a really nice contrast between the base and the miniature and I, yeah, but I was gonna ask you about basing that. have you done their system for filing it down yeah i did that yeah how have you found that i found that to be not as good as the <laughs> effects that they showed uh, i've I filed it like a lot but it's still kind of rough yeah. it looks fine and once you've got the kind of hard coat and um lamium medium glaze on it like that that covers a multitude of sins it also darkens down the black and stuff like that mm. is 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 a good thing to do at the end um uh, uh, but it's a weird way of doing it like i think i might rather have put some plastic card on that's what i've like done that. so that, that's the way you did it yeah it gives you that automatic smooth surface so yeah like so my my basing method has been to um basically cut circles of plastic card and and stick them on and then cover the gaps with astrogranite to yes. kind of have like yeah. stuff piled on top and it, it's not well. a perfect effect and but it's um i like it um, because it's a completely smooth mm. surface. There's some, uh, and what it, one thing it allows you to do is cover, because, um, one very retro thing about the Blackstone pushfit models is slotter bases. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and <laughs> it allows you to, um, cover, you know, the slotter gap quite nicely yeah, or like, or yeah. break up that line. Like it's, it's, I, you know, I've seen a lot, like you can even see it, um, it's really obvious where the heavy metal team kind of cheated a bit with this stuff. Like they obviously sawed away the slotter bases and completely rebased a lot of those models. Yes, yes. Um, but you know, you can often see, even if you just put, um, texture paint over the 
the slotter line, it can be obvious where the line is. So I've done a lot to try and break up that lo- break up that line, so to kind of like create the illusion of it, particularly on the mm. on the smaller like minion models, because um, just creating a little bit of variety in their bases with skulls and plastic card sort of visible in different places means that you forget that there's a really obvious line down the middle of the base. <laughs> yeah, and you can use the laser lines to really disrupt the symmetry of the base as well so you can go like slightly crosswise to the model and then avoid that kind of uh, draw your eye away from that dissection across the center um horizontally um what i found as well is that um i've avoided putting the slotters in directly in the middle each time yeah just to avoid having a patch vast granite on each side so some some of them where where it works they're just fully off to one side so there's just a bit of astronaut on the other and you don't get that uniform thing across the whole yeah. lot i also bought a box of skulls that this is brilliant <laughs> it is a good it's box a really good box i'm gonna use it forever um and i've spliced up some sprue and used it to build kind of fallen girders and bricks and stuff like that and mm. if you if you chop the sprue down really small and also put some astrogranite in among it uh, among the kind of piles that you're creating like it, it can it look organic and again that distracts yeah i i so the only thing i did differently for any of them was um for the navigator i did saw away his slaughter and mm. mount him on a normal 32 mil base and i did that because one i wanted to base coat him gray and the base black right but also i, I sprayed them differently but also it allowed, i wanted to do i sort of i felt like it would be obvious if like every single character was conveniently because the, dif- the weakness of the plastic card system mm. is you can't get it perfectly you know uh cutting it so that it fits perfectly around the feet and uh, other base details of a model that's hard. is extremely hard to the point of i can't be bothered mm. so it tends to be shards of visible you know the, the laser floor is visible in glimpses through piles of debris so i think i probably got less laser floor on average than doing the other method mm. um but the um but for the navigator particularly i wanted more laser floor basically mm. so i made him a base with much more plastic card on it and then it was a little bit a little bit touch and go because actually they are those slots of connections on some of the models that are actually quite sort of substantial so i had to really guide it with a saw to to get him away from that mm. um but i'm quite pleased with how that worked out and I, i've done something with him that i'm going to reflect across all of the other uh, particularly kind of like warp adjacent models which is have the laser floor reacting to them which yeah i've, I've played with that as well especially with him because he has such like three points of contact and particularly the staff the, yeah the, the, the cane the yeah. cane that he has he sort of like has this wonderful imper- sort of imperious pose where he's just going not for a little walk. yeah he's just going for a little walk like, he's going for a little walk um and yeah i i put extra glow around the base of that mm. as though he's channeling some sort of power and yeah it's affecting the the floor i've got little arcs of lightning coming out the base oh, nice. of the cane and like yeah. but, and linking into the lasers like it's almost like like yeah it's yeah but i kind of like the idea that it's not him doing it it's more like the station reacting, reacting to, to him to him yeah. so like the the rogue cycles will have something similar and for the chaos lord the laser floor is going to be almost entirely red mm. like it's, it's oh that's like cool it's changing underneath him. i like that idea a lot that's um awesome. still like <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good idea yeah. um in the, and you know so it's going to be like more like the threat level almost just yeah, yeah, the yeah. floor oh no that's a really good idea yeah you can you can have that idea there. but like uh, yeah, yeah so that's, gonna, good, that's good yeah but because uh, i got an idea of how i'm going to do it for all of them as well um but no that stuff's that's really nice that's been really fun to do the rest of the painting those models like something i've discovered is and this is a, a fun thing to discover after years as the the magic nonsense man is I really like just painting natural materials. Mm. And so like, um, and I've gotten, I'm now pretty happy with my techniques for 
lots of different kinds of, uh, materials. So with the Crute, um, I had an idea for how I wanted to do his skin. Like I wanted to give him like a mottled skin in places, like on his hands and his forehead. So that, which was done with glazes over, you know, multiple glazes over a kind of a base and freehand and stuff. And then, um, but with his leathers, I wanted it to feel like leather. Um, and I've had mixed success in the past with painting like the scratches and things yeah. for leather. So a technique I, I figured out for that was actually, um, like after doing the base coat, doing like a light dry brush, um, like a scratchy dry brush oh, and yeah. then manual highlighting over that. Cause mm. it almost gives you a guide and it worked quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then for, um, I was, I was pleased with how the cape and, and stuff came out for the navigator because I really wanted that to look like velvet, like that's much smoother. Mm. And I found the way of doing that, that I was happiest with actually involves foremost very rarely for me, no washes at all, like not actually doing a shade. Yeah. Um, uh, and painting it by starting with a mid-tone rather than the darkest, rather than darkest and working up, starting with a mid-tone and then, um, I suppose making glazes, but like making blends with army and medium and the darker color and like painting the shadows in basically. Right. And so then, would have been Zarius purple. It's basically, mid-tone? yeah, the, 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 the mid-tone for me is Zarius purple and, and then Nagaroth, like, Nagaroth but like, uh, like very thin and then just painting it only into the shadows. Right. And, I've got a photo of him on my Instagram from the back, but like, I, it, like it was, it was much easier for me to do it almost manually to like, mm. rather than see where the, where the wash settles, it's almost like just, I'm going to sort of decide where the shadows are because, um, and follow natural light where I can. And it, mm. it worked quite nicely. Like, and then yeah. going up to quite a, a bright wink gives that sense of it being, yeah, nice. Makes the navigator ass shine. <laughs> uh, lovely purple robes. It's very good. I've really enjoyed just the sheer variety of color palettes across the hero yeah. models I've painted so far. Um, so painting, what's his name? The robot is UR025, something like that? UR025. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that was such a counterintuitive method for me because I followed, um, there's the sort of heavy metal, uh, paint scheme is written on the instructions and it's actually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I adapted it like cross-referenced it with the Warhammer TV video of how they did it. And it's turned out pretty well, actually, like for mashing those two things together. And it's quite counterintuitive because you start with um the Ideneth flesh base mm. tone, which is to me looks like it's not warm, but it's not the blue gray cold scheme that you yeah, see. It's quite green. Like- it's, yeah. Yeah. Um But then washing that with nylac oxide and Lamium medium, just is transformative and suddenly it changes the tone of the entire color mm. and then going over that then you, you start you get to start dry brushing and it looks completely great dry brushing on that model because it's he's an ancient robot and just the slightly kind of peppery style of that mm. peppery is a good word for it actually it, yeah. it is like it really fits into that it ages it a little bit as well and then um i went back over like right right clan flesh shade it's like mm. again all these tones just they should clash and be weird, but it looks like rust. It looks like wear. Mm. Uh, and then just uh, make some Rhinox hide with some Lamy medium. And then I did like it, like low light isn't even the word for it, but like almost just tracing around the armor plates mm. and the cracks and the little divots and the little kind of, um, you know, uh, raised areas and just kind of creating as much contrast as possible. And it looks fucking great and it's it was so easy <laughs> yeah. like, honestly but none of those te- it might those techniques might don't might sound more advanced than they are but it, it was entirely just a lot of coats 
of this pale color to make sure it was really clean and consistent. Then it was just uh, washes. And then uh, the hardest part was uh, doing sort of that ultra low light. And you can let the brush do all the work because the, the sculpt is so defined because it's like a robot uh, and the sculpt is excellent. Anyway, you can just like let the brush just kind of go into those cracks as you move it around mm. and, and the, the effect has been awesome it's been so much fun to yeah paint. rad looking forward to that at the moment i'm sort of set because I, I actually I, I had i have a bunch of stuff base coated for my zinc army and i was i was all in on that and i've decided i really want to finish blackstone like mm. i want to get through the whole box um i'm glad i played without painting everything but it's nice to like every time we play to have more stuff painted yeah and the way i'm rationing it is i'm doing a unit of enemies, then a hero, then a unit of enemies, then a hero, just to keep the momentum going. Mm. So I'm, I'm now, I'm just in the process now of, I've just finished cleaning them up and I'm about to start building the bases for all of the traitor guard. Right. Because that is, there's 14 of them. They're mm. by far the most. That's the biggest job, isn't it? Like, I don't think they're going to be that hard to paint. Um, mm. but, uh, you know, I don't want to, but they're not going to be as speed paintable as the ghouls and the drone. Yeah. So it's going to be a chunk of time. Like it's going to slow things down for me, but when they're done, the rest of the box feels so much more achievable. Like even now, mm. just having separated them out, you realize they, they account for a big proportion of the contents of that box. Yeah. So getting them done, I think will be a real big mm. sort of momentum boost. And then after that into probably the robot. Yeah. I bet the dark mechanicus uh, aren't too hard either. I don't think so, although they're fiddly. Mm. Like, to the extent that I'm thinking of spraying them lead belcher oh, right. and painting the flesh and the cloth in, mm. because there's so much metal in little corners yeah, that I'd almost rather spray the metal, wash and dry brush the metal, than worry about everything else. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't, like, if you miss a dendrite, <laughs> you'll feel it. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah, it's, and, sure. you, and you don't want to be, like, stabbing a brush covered in lead belcher down into a, a crevice to try oh, and get into those little little bits you can't it's so hard to fix skin tone once all the washes and the highlights are on as well because it should be yeah. like a, quite a gradient and it should be quite a shifting palette so just a big blob of silver on there is not easily corrected like no yeah that's, a, that's yeah wise. so and that's what i'm thinking for them and then everything else is just as it happens like i think i'll paint the the chaos lord off his base because mm. he's his pose is a little tricky because he's holding his hammer in front of himself is yeah. in fact although his arms come off really easily so he might be worth painting without his arms uh, okay okay that's um, good shot um yeah and actually the the way the bolt the bolters connect to the front of the chaos space marines where they literally just plug into their hands is, mm. is like a kind of oh yeah in that case that's, it's, it's an open invitation to, to paint the bolters yeah, separately sure, sure. Um, but yeah like it's it's such a good set and actually I'm, I'm i think um one of the things that that put me off um uh like wrath and rapture a little bit is that you know Wrath and Rapture is a is a ninety five pound box the same as uh, as Blackstone mm. and the relative value proposition between those two things obviously one of them is basically the equivalent of two stock collecting boxes and a five quid discount but honestly like yeah you know Blackstone is 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 definitely a premium product <laughs> it's a true you know, premium it's it's it's, it's a ninety five pound game but it really feels worthwhile mm. like it makes it almost makes me slightly annoyed that my shame pile elsewhere is so big <laughs> it's like you know yeah it's interesting that that, that that sense of value doesn't come from purely from model count it, it's the fancy of it and the, the quality of the actual scenery not scenery but like the the game board the assembly yeah. game board is so high and the, the shinner of cards and gubbins and dice and rules that you get with it all adds like a variety of value it's almost like um uh <laughs> to use a word that's so my friends say smorgasbord of uh yeah. it's platter of cold meats a different type of, of uh, <laughs> yeah uh, but there's lots of different flavors of hobby in one box whereas it feels with like uh, a traditional army set you're getting one 
uh, one thing, aren't you really? Yeah. And I think also the thing that's great about it is it feels like something that's quite easy to share with people. Mm. Like I, you know, like uh, it's a game you can get out. Like it's a little technical, like it takes a while for, to explain it. Although I feel like now I've played it a bunch. I, I could explain it quickly, Yeah, but like, you know, it feels like a game I can, I can play with a, a variety of people. So the investment in painting it, for example, pays off in lots of different ways, which is not to say that, you know, it's a very different thing to painting an army. Um, but you know, there's definitely some sense of like really worthwhile self-contained kind of experience in a box. Mm. Um, yeah, it's great. I, I'm, I'm really taken with it. Like I, um, I've got uh, a lot on my painting plate at the moment, which is one of the reasons that I, I really do. And I'm saying this now so that I can be wrong next month when something happens, but I really do, I think want to spend the early part of next year just painting and playing with the stuff I've got rather than starting new projects. Yeah. I think it's always ways. Um, there's a few things that are making that harder. Do like, you want an Ideneth army? I do. Yeah. I do. Dark Earth is probably coming and I like the book that I read the Dark Earth novella. Oh, yeah. I liked it. It's good. It's good to, it's basically people being reasonable to each other. <laughs> well, no, I mean, no, there's a lot of uh, eye gouging and decapitating, but like yes. by Warhammer standards, there's like, there's even a relatively reasonable storm cast in it. Wow. Well, there's like a, <laughs> a Lord ordinator basically just says like, you're less chaosy than most of the rest of them. You can go. You're all right. Yeah. You're all right. Really? Yeah. Like, um, um, you know, there's, um, I like the idea of the army. It heavily implies that a big thing will be, giant dogs pulling chariots for the cool. dark oath which yep I, I do like all dogs are good in age of sigmar it's a good rule yeah um <laughs> that's the other thing i painted actually i painted, painted a lovely box of doggos dogs yeah they're yeah. good aren't they they're, um, they're all good they're all good especially the weird age of sigmar ones um so yeah, our live events and the last sort of like five minutes of the day before it closed i just went and bought a box of griffons and uh that in terms of just hobby fun for buck has been the best thing I've bought in the hobby because it's like 13 quid and you get six of them and you can paint them whatever color you want and you can just experiment, go wild, just try anything on them. And uh, they were super quick and super fun to paint up and they look rad as well. The sculpts are really nice. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I did buy a, um, I will get to this, but like, so, um, so playing our big game of Adeptus Titanicus at oh, yeah, uh, yeah. the meetup did make me realize I do want to get into Adeptus Titanicus. So that is on the horizon, but mm. I managed to save that off by buying a Reaver Titan that I was sort of midway through building and, and customizing and things by the time, um, Backstone came out. Right. So that, that is on the back burner a little bit because I'm doing some scenic based stuff that's quite mm. ambitious. Nice. Um, hopefully that'll be cool. But yeah, I, I've come away from a lot of that stuff really, just wanting to to knuckle down and and get stuff finished mm. i think i think I, you know like i really like i've got all the stuff i need to get to a thousand points with corn in a, a nice. sigma and i want to play a bunch of games with that yeah, like and just really have some different kinds of games a different army yeah. and i sort of i realized i think that like as good a value as the battle force boxes are that stuff will always be there like maybe not in those particular combinations but like yeah, yeah. it's not your only opportunity to you know, the discount can be a little misleading in some ways, or it can mm. feel like a, uh, a sort of, oh, this is the time to get on board the Seraphim bus because mm. there is such a good value box, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Plus, like, there's, there's value in customizing your selection for stuff like Ideneth. Like, if there was a Mathlan, uh, like a aspect of Mathlan in there, that I would 
think about it, but it's the kind of a lot of infantry and a couple of sharks and a lot of eels. And the, the really kind of the stuff, the high flute and stuff in that range that I love isn't in there. Yeah. And I'd rather spend more and have the things I really want. Yeah. I can it's, understand. I mean, it's still a very good value box. It's a great value box. But like, and it's about an 800 point army. Like most of them are bordering on a thousand points. And it's, it's not, it's a good army as well. Like the mm. eels are legit. They're really, really strong. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's happened is so very, very kindly, um, my, uh, my friend who I've been playing, uh, Blackstone with has, um, given me, a copy of the Lord of the Rings Battle of Penelope Fields box that he Ooh, doesn't want. Cool. So, um, I have that now. Oh, can I play that with you? Yes. I'd like, love to play that it's system. not built. Um, but like, um, but I, you know, I think a couple of episodes ago, or maybe just one episode ago, based on how many we missed, <laughs> um, I said that I was really tempted by that. I recently rewatched all the movies and I just really wanted to paint some Saxons. I mean, Rotorim. <laughs> and so I'm not going to treat them as a, those models are really interesting actually because they are, in some ways, obviously of a lower quality, they remind me much more of my plastic Bretonians from the oh, yeah. late nineties. Yeah. Um, they're nice, but they're not like they're small mm. by, you know, tiny f- by scale creep standards. And in some ways that makes them feel a lot less, um, uh, sort of unforgiving as, as a hobby challenge. Like mm, they will take an all over Agrax wash really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to get that painted up at some point. Like, you know, uh, that's a, a thing as well. So mm. it feels like without me kind of making too many big plans for the future, I've ended up with plenty to do. How about you? How, how do you feel about the, 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 cause you, you have maintained a very low shame pile for a long time now. Yeah. Um, what I've realized in the last couple of months is that I'm really bored of painting gold for a while. Right. So I've got actually a whole like second, starter box bunch of storm casts that i could turn into a really formidable storm cast eat like a sacrosanct chamber army and uh jim for as a little birthday gift bought me like a mini box of sequiturs that basically rounds out that you get absurd numbers in the starter box but i I'd, I'd, I'd could now paint up 20 sequiturs and um 10 evocators as well and that's a really strong core for a new Stormcast army and that, but that feels like something that I want to be like six to eight months away. Um, because what I've really enjoyed about Blackstone is different colors, different textures, mm. and also smaller models, more detailed models. Uh, cause like Stormcast are kind of easy mode in a lot of ways by design. They're, they're designed for people to get into them and just be able to just yeah paint them, wash them, they look great. Uh, and it's hard to bring extra kind of panache to them. Like you don't see Stormcast models often winning Golden Demon stuff with the exception of there's an incredible Palador. Uh, units. That, yes, that I were, remember that. Yeah, uh, which we saw actually when we went to um, Warhammer Fest. Uh, and I'm sure that won something. Uh, and the Palador kit is you can put a lot of time into that, and I, I that's probably along with the Hunters my favourite Stormcast unit sculpt wise. Uh, but like as a, as a range, I've grown a little bit bored of them, and Blackstone has kind of made me bored of them because suddenly I'm painting with all these exciting new colours and new techniques and putting lots of different things into the models. So my next project is going to be finishing Blackstone and then moving on to a kill team, an Admech kill team, and kind of coming up with a colour scheme for that. And again, that's a lot of interesting, cool uh, contrasts of uh, texture and colour because you've got obviously the metallic elements right next to these cloth and leather elements and things like that. Mm. I really want to kind of experiment with that and, and get them looking rad. Yeah, awesome. And... um like I can completely see myself building that into an army because I've got a bunch of admech like from here and there. I um I love the Castle and Robot models. They're mm. some of my favourite 40k models and I could just totally see myself buying 
two boxes of them and a sort of a, a tech priest to go with them. And that would be an amazing hobby project. So that's kind of what I want to do in the next sort of six, seven months is actually knuckle down and play some kill team, paint some kill team and do some Blackstone Fortress and actually sort of shift into 40k for a little while. Hmm, cool. Into that universe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's always AOS to play, right? Uh, yeah. And there will be an AOS release. They always release Stormcast at some point during the year that will probably draw me back in or it will be a different army or it might be new elves or something like that that I will, it will draw me back in. But I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen in the long term. Like mm. I, I feel like it'll be late next year. I'll probably do some new AOS until then. I'm kind of happy to be. Yeah. That makes sense. 40K. Yeah. That's cool. And uh, I, I love the idea of actually like trying out Lord of the Rings. And if I like that, like ha- perfectly happy to buy a little army, like skirmish Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just the sake of just painting different stuff for a bit. Um, and uh, again, like I often wonder, should I just try stuff from other systems? But because, you know, as we discussed before, um, all of the games workshops models feed into different systems in a way that you, I could field a bunch of, uh, stuff in my Admic army from the, um, Blackstone Fortress box. Like I could put the navigator in there probably <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you wanted to do it. And I like that idea. And so, and if I was to go and go off and paint something from a completely different range, it would be tricky to kind of integrate it into the rest of the hobby. Hmm. But yeah. yeah. No clear plans, but apart from the clear plan I just outlined. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted by um, Adeptus Titanicus, though, when I saw that mega game. I, those models are fucking cool. Yeah, I think if there is a, a re-release of the Grandmaster Edition, which was rumoured, like a reprint, right. then I would probably buy it, <laughs> I think. Um, they are selling like a big sort of battle box, like a, almost a battle force for Adeptus Titanicus, but you still have to buy the rules and stuff separately. Right. Uh, the other thing that I was tempted by is the new Necromunda Delac miniatures. Oh, they're nice. Like that's, these are ways of tricking me into buying more models is like if someone nearby sets up a Necromunda league mm. and it's like, oh, it's only one box. Hmm. And the rule on two rule books <laughs> and some dice probably because you need them, obviously. They're some of my favorite Necromunda models. So far. They're really good. Yeah. They're really good. I want to vite, I want to dry brush the snake spy men <laughs> very good they're very good um but yeah like so there's always stuff lurking at the corner but it's been um i think i i having been uh one thing i've noticed is having been like seriously busy for a couple of months i have i've still managed to get some painting time here and there but what i haven't done is like just sort of like taken stock of everything i've got either on the go or like just lying around like x-wing second edition came out and i've hardly had time to play it oh yeah and so like i you know i i'm I'm spending a lot of my hobby time at the moment just like picking a game system and tidying my stuff in that system like Mm. sleeving cards and filing sorting the cards and getting stuff into a storage solution that makes sense because i mean i've had stuff out on the side in in my office in here for like for months because i just haven't had time to like Mm. figure out what i want to do with stuff and sometimes i think i think i might be approaching another purge like just downscaling yeah. in some ways, but also I just kind of want to like get back to that feeling of like a clear painting day- table with only the things I want to be painting on it rather yeah. than like half projects. Like I've got too many half projects and I think yeah. I really want to do that big clean out to, in order to just feel on top of it all. Yeah. I've still got like a bunch of like AOS scenery that I've got half built that yeah. I want to finish. And I guess you've got some kill team. Yeah. Stuff like that huge well. loads of kill team terrain. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things I think that's really easy to do when hobbies are an outlet is like, um, you, you start like, I think one thing that's happened to me recently personally is like, 
I've had the disposable income, but not the time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just like getting into something like Warhammer Champions, the card game or something oh, yeah. like that is an outlet for my interest in trying new game systems and things. But that stuff can sort of spiral if you don't have the discipline to like keep hold of your shame pile, that kind of thing. Mm. Like I, you see it happen. I think every, every hobby person experiences this where it's like, I started an extra project because I kind of just wanted to. But now I don't really know why I did that. You know what I mean? That <laughs> yeah. kind of feeling, like it's, that, it's variety. I think, like, the doing something new is very exciting, and then it's much easier to and- buy the army than it is to paint it. Yeah. And the window shopping pull mm. is very, very strong. Yeah, and uh, obviously that's how they get you. <laughs> that is how one is got. Yeah, the the the, um, the biggest danger for me would be just buying an Adeptus Titanicus Titan as a, a one-off hobby project which is something i'd really want to do cause i've done I, that now unfortunately. Just, yeah so yeah uh but i i think like i think you were saying this that the idea that you could just buy one titan and bring one to each miniatures monthly event that might happen and then eventually you'd end up with a mana pool that you know you could just play the full game yeah uh, and i really like that idea of just kind of just slowly lowering, your, lowering yourself into that very expensive bath. <laughs> of, <laughs> Which is the experience of, hot, of this last couple of years as a whole, to be honest. That's very true. That's very true. Um, but yeah, like I think, I think taking stock is an important thing. Hmm. And like, cause there's things like I really do want to do a Necron army. Like I really like Necrons. Yeah. Um, they're fun, but it's like, let's actually do that. Like, hmm. you know, I, I, I haven't painted the Star Wars Legion box. That's right. a game I like and like yeah, a little yeah. bit more of. I don't like the feeling that I have more toys than I play with hmm. as a, 31 year old man and i yeah. yeah getting back on top of that um there's lots of things i've had in my mind i want to rebase all of my 30k thousand sons right um i decided because i want them to be you more prosper- <laughs> yeah that's uh, uh why because i want them to be more prosper prospero oh i, see. I think right, i did them yeah. on kind of like blue, Dark blue right. because it suited the tiles in the burning of prospero game yeah but i actually kind of want to do a display board for them like so they have a home maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah do something a bit new it's not gonna be that hard because only super glued onto those bases anyway yeah, so yeah. it's like but that that's like a couple of weeks of work that mm. I will make time for at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's there's all of this, all these compelling reasons not to uh, to to put on the brakes somewhat, mm. which shouldn't be taken as a bad news for the podcast, I should stress. Yeah, <laughs> sure, like, sure. And this is me just dis- detaching from the entire thing. <laughs> but nonetheless, I've definitely had that feeling lately of being really enjoying the, the snatches of time I've had to enjoy it, but also feeling a bit overwhelmed by almost quote-unquote falling behind hmm. by not keeping up the pace yeah i'm lucky in the sense that the only thing i've really fallen behind on the shade spire and that's not a, a, such an enormous thing to lose and almost everything else has just been aos yeah i've just focused on aos so much that yeah um but it sounds like i'm about to get into that problem <laughs> as i go into several other systems at the same time next year yeah, but also there are, there are more fruitful ways of painting a few models and being ready. Like, you know. That's what Blackstone's so good for. Like, yeah. That's what I love about it is that it, it chunks so easily depending on the amount of time that you have to spend on a given weekend or, you know, a given week. So I've, I've basically, the, the, the last weekend done a hero model a day. And that has been so much fun. Just putting all the effort into one hero, Bosch finished, put it on the side photograph it on instagram and then move on to the next one and then yeah. as i'm doing that one i'm thinking about the next one so i finished the robot like the other night and then um started on the uh, the rogue trader and mm. that, that's just going really nicely and it's it's the best sort of um it's the best sort of 
manufacturing line really rather mm-hmm. than just doing massive units of just gold 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 it's just every one of these characters is a different fantasy it's a different color scheme it's a different color set different textures and i love that variety and I, yeah that's why i want to take on lots of small projects like a titan like a kill team or you know a unit in between those, we might do a stormcast unit just to go back to yeah my guys you know uh, yeah i think i think that's the thing one of the things and this is maybe segue into what we'll get into soon but one of the things that struck me at like when we first got to Cardiff for the start of our event, hmm. uh, we were at Firestorm and, and, you know, we got there kind of 10 in the morning and people were trickling in and you and I basically set up on the giant table we were going to use for our mega game, hmm. which we'll discuss momentarily, I imagine. And we both got like the, the whole point of that game was this for the first time we will throw our entire armies at each other. Yeah. And obviously I have seen all of your models and you've seen all of my models, but we never had them all out at the same time, hmm. like facing each other. And it was nuts. It's like, oh my like, God. <laughs> there's a, there was a part of it for me, which I was actually really kind of almost thrilled by, which is that like teen me was appalling at changing projects all the time. Mm. And also didn't really have any money. So I was always like buying one thing from an army, painting that and then doing something else. And probably to the, you know, never really playing any games because the idea of a 2000 point army was a madman's dream. More than like beyond comprehension. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, us sitting there ahead of an 8,000 point game, mm. like two, 4,000 point fully painted fully based oh, yeah. armies. Hmm. I was like, holy shit, we actually did, I did that. <laughs> like, I actually painted all of this. Yeah. It's like, it's like, also it's like, this is what two years of hobby looks like. Or yeah. Like put on the same table. And that was also, that was slightly terrifying, but also like, I felt really proud and really excited just to watch them smash each other up. Yeah. And some of them not doing anything at all. Just hang around. <laughs> and, some, <laughs> and some of them I would just forget. <laughs> I just left. But space. that was the thing. It was like it's that like moment it. of like, holy shit. Like my, I have, drawn every every like tiny bit of paint on all of these models mm. i did which is a weird thing to think and it's not supposed to be self-aggrandizing it's just like i don't remember like, it's just <laughs> oh it's my such God. a vast expenditure of effort yeah for, and for a cool thing but you know what i mean yeah. it's like holy shit just, like just, like, just seeing the time it's like mm. christ almighty no wonder people don't do this <laughs> hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours just no wonder people play with gray plastic <laughs> on this table on this table it was amazing though the whole event was amazing yeah um yes um Good beer crack Thank sound you. effect. Thought it'd open a new section. Mm. Yeah, we should talk about the event. We should. Had a really good time. Yeah. In fact, it kind of defined a lot of things about AOS for me on a grand scale. Yeah. Way. So I was going to, we should talk about how, how to approach this because I think, yes. um, so to clarify, so this month there will not be a battle report in the traditional sense, um, because, um, well, our campaign has come to a conclusion with, 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 that, with, with, yeah, with the battle that we played. And obviously we appreciate that, um, you know, 40 of our community were, were there in Cardiff. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people won't know exactly what we did. And so in some ways we, we, we can obviously do a, a little bit of a blow by blow of what happened in the game, sort of. Hmm. But I think partly we kind of need to explain what it was. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and also I'd kind of want to, I agree, like, I don't know if you want to get into this first or afterwards, but I want to talk about the way I walked away with a different mm. attitude towards AOS as I, well. It, it taught me, yeah, I, I definitely learned things about the game. Maybe we can conclude with. Maybe, yeah, I think that's that. probably right. So basically this is, so the weekend as a whole was basically just open play, people playing whatever they wanted from, uh, you know, uh, Shades of Fire and Kill Team, Oedipus Satanicus, lots of Age of Sigmar. Um, but we also, um, asked if people wanted to take part in a narrative game. And I, <clears throat> like, 
And like I was, I was pretty keen that it was like one massive game rather than a campaign. Mm. And this was, but it was a kind of a, both of our first experience of like trying to do something like this at this scale. Yeah. And I think it was, and this is maybe linked at the end. It was only possible because everyone sort of bought into the idea. Like I think running a narrative game like this worked because of the nature of the community that was taking part. I couldn't imagine selling tickets to strangers for an event like this. Sure. Now, obviously I, I was meeting a lot of people for the first time, but it wasn't like there was a real degree of, flexibility in terms of how people were willing to play mm. um and embracing the idea of narrative play um but basically the idea uh was this and i'm trying to summarize <laughs> it so um obviously the the campaign games that we've played in the podcast to this point describe the kind of re-emergence of my zinchi and cult in this island um and this sort of like island continent in the realm of metal where in the hundreds of years since uh last year's campaign uh, Tom Stormcast have established a, a foothold. Mm. New forces are on the rise. Return of the, this demon legion alongside a big new mortal Zangor contingent. Uh, but it turns out that all of these assaults that have been taking place in cities that have been under siege is a bit of a feint um, as um, Zinch goes for the real prize, which is this uh, enormous spire in the mountains called the Clarion Spire, the first horn that word for horn has been coming up a lot recently. Yeah. The idea being it's a, a, a tremendous, like a huge kind of ancient um, sort of arcane uh, device that may or may not be a very big trumpet mm. um, that when honked, uh, but in a Warhammer way um, has the power to, to change the sort of uh, resonant frequency of every realm gate in the region. So potentially conferring sort of vast power to, um, whoever manages to do the big honk. Mm-hmm. And this was, so, th- um, so our game, uh, you and me was basically just a custom scenario where our armies started across the table from each other on an eight, on a, sorry, a 12 by four table, uh, with the spire in the center. And we had a rule, which was, uh, each of us had three objectives on each side and the spire in the center. And, um, when you, if you got a hero to the spire, they could start channeling. If they could successfully channel it, they would contribute like their faction's energy to the spire based on how many objectives were being held elsewhere. Yeah. So the only way for someone to win in one turn was to capture every single objective and also channel the spire. Mm. Otherwise it was like a tug of war basically. Yeah. So you, you retain the points that you had in previous turns. And yeah. You like bank back them. and forth. Yeah. yeah. And then if you bank, if I bank points after you've banked points, I remove your points first. Yeah. And yeah. we have to get to nine because that was the magic number for, for, for Zinch. Uh, <laughs> I wrote that. So I was like <laughs> nine. Um, and, um, and so that was our game. And it was basically designed in a way that meant that it was not going to be very possible for us to end that game mm. off the bat. And the idea was that through various kind of deliberate and accidental sort of interweavings of fate, that battle was uh, interconnected with other battles held, taking place elsewhere in the realms, like not just the realm of metal, but yeah. like across sort of time and space. And that, the purpose of the afternoon of, of play for everybody was to almost like simulate this great big game of fate resolving across loads of different battlefields at the same time. Yeah. And so the principle, uh, and so I, th- I didn't know how many games we'd end up having. Um, we ended up with um, 11 games of age of Sigma plus a game of silver tower uh, plus skirmish. skirmish so wasn't there, yeah. Um, I think 27 players total all yeah. playing at the same time. All, across all Grand Alliances as well. All Grand Alliances. And 
so and so there's a bunch of different things to this so and also different scales of games from a thousand points up to two thousand point games Mm. and every game had some relationship with the central game either um so uh so like we we have and we've had um battle reports from almost everybody who took part which is great and i'll run through some of them obviously you know um, I guess I have to say straight up, thank you so much, everybody who sent in pictures or put pictures in the show notes as well. Absolutely. For the post of this battle report, we'd, it'll be, I don't know how we'd handle telling every story. Um, so we might not get to everything, but basically, so we had, for example, because of the particular composition of the armies that were brought, um, Tom, you had a system whereby you got a pretty substantial amount of reinforcement points reflecting Stormcast being reforged. Yes. Every single turn. Uh, to such an extent that you would basically be impossible to table. And that was based on the fate of a Stormkeep that was, um, unfortunately, uh, quote, good for me, um, being sieged by an Orc War mm. at the time. And that Orc War was simulated across three games. And so we had lined up, we had 3,000 point games, three Iron Jaws players in a row, yeah. and then three, or, um. It was two Stormcast and a Nice Water. It was, it was, yes, it was, no, it was Stormcast Carriage and Nighthaunt. That's right. Like death in that case, defending this, um, fortress. And the outcome of that game was if the Stormcast can hold the line, you keep your reinforcement points. Yes. If the Orcs win, uh, which they all did, um, including, I think one spectacular moment when a, I think it was, um, I'll make sure I get the names correct. I think it was Nielsen's, uh, Caradron, like gun hauler dropped all of its bombs on a single shaman. <laughs> Or like grot shaman and had them all miss <laughs> um, luckiest shaman the that that just destruction did extremely well on those tables uh, and yeah, that had the effect of, and that had the effect of when those games and we timed it so that the the effect of a game on our game would be timed based on the expected length of that game mm. so when they all started to end the the, the all of the wars went well basically yeah um that meant that um i think one of them didn't one of them lost. i think one of uh it might have been uh, a goblin army that lost i can't remember no the, the goblin army won uh, we'll we'll figure it out basically maybe in- that had the effect of about midway through our game shutting off your enforcements yes. to, a, to a huge extent yeah but there was another mechanic for example whereby i gained fate points which is what zinch uses to summon demons from every single table mm. rather than just ours so whenever any wizard anywhere cast a spell i got a fate point and people had to come over to our table and take a dice that we were using as tokens and put them in the in a on a tray and that was my tray of fate points yeah and the the fate of that system, the fate of fate, was decided by a mega battle taking place um, between uh, Drew's Zinch led by Archeon and oh, yeah. uh, Dines's um, Seraphon. So there was almost like a battle in the heavens kind of happening. It felt like that battle was probably more important than our battle. Yeah, you know I mean? like, <laughs> it was for the fate of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wanted that sense that like our battle was important, but there were other things going on that were sort of. Beyond affecting our, everything i can basically yeah like, the Ar- archaeal will be f- facing these uh forces of order demons in a, a battle for everything yeah and then we had another one which was a um um a um zinch army james's zinch army i think a sort of a cult uprising facing more seraphim so mm. seraphim kind of acting on the fringes to shut down chaos absolutely 100 percent seraphim that's <laughs> what they're all about it's the whole deal so excuse me while I think about sneezing a lot and don't sneeze. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so I think um, that was um, James's Inch versus Ewan's Seraphin, um, where like 
again, a huge smash up where like it basically just came down to a slan chopping a herald of Zinch in half and then just like summoning laser dinosaurs until all the demons were dead. Fantastic. I think both Seraphon armies won. Yeah. Um, we had, um, and then we had like really good, um, um, and then we had two games uh, on different boards that dictated whether or not you or I would get our auxiliaries. Mm. Um, so you had a Seraph, you had a Sylvaneth army to the side and I, I had a corn army to yeah. the side. Yeah. Um, I got mine. You didn't get yours. I didn't. Um, uh, and, um, that was thanks, uh, to Chris's, um, beastman, uh, overcoming Rich's beast claw raiders, <laughs> who were in the beast off, the big beast, <laughs> beastorama. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, uh, who was it? It was, um, I think Tom's death beat Nick's Stormcast to deny you your realm of death, Sylvaneth. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Because they they were trying to get the realm gate open. To they're bring they're trying across. to find the realm roots in the realm of death. And yeah, they were denied. Um, and then, um, then we had um, one thing that we set up was um, win conditions for the other grand alliances. So the grand the the win condition for order was you winning. The win condition for chaos was me winning. Um, the win condition for destruction we changed on the fly because we had to make some adjustments. Because I think it was something like this. Mm. The thing that's really helpful is everyone's, and the, the thing that's great about not having to like pre-publish an event pack or something was just being able to go. We don't think this is working 100 percent right. So what we did with destruction in the end was, um, uh, our game spilled over to a second day. We finished it in the morning of the Sunday. Yeah, and um, we could do that which was great because it's a really great venue and they let us leave things set up mm. in a secure way, which was amazing. But also it would end with um, a destruction army arriving on our battlefield. But the size of that army and how many points they had and what it was composed of would depend on the results of all these other games. Yeah. So in, in large part, it was assisted um, by um, uh, the game between uh, Beans Death and uh, Peanut Butterbug's um, Moon Clan, where... Oh, yeah, uh, that's a good one. Where basically just like grot fanatics and squigs ate skeletons for an hour. <laughs> Super. <laughs> um, which ended up contributing in a, a unit we'll get to, which is a very important doom diver. <laughs> there are, oh, the there are so many kind of, all, all of, as we go through all these games, um, so many of them contributed vital moments to the main game and we'll illuminate them eventually, but I just kind of, yeah, like I want to kind of like give that. people a map of what was going on, Precisely. even as hard as it is to hold in your head. Yes. yes. Just so that we can then talk about specific things. Yes. Uh, deaths, uh, win condition. Um, oh, so good. We're so good. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, so, uh, chimp brought Nagash. He did. And, um, uh, I want to give a shout out to Rogue Michael from Discord for when I, cause chimp is a competitive player. And that's not a bad thing, but there was an element of like, you're a competitive player and you've got Nagash. Um, which one of, which other lovely person here wants to get murdered by the god of death? And that game was super good though. It was super good. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, so the idea was Nagash was in his own game. And if he can win that game against Stormcast defenders, um, he gets to go through a realm gate and come to our game. And if he can get to the big horn and toot it, then the game is over. Yeah, d- like Nagash wins. Nagash wins, <laughs> um, which was intended partly to create in a situation where maybe you and I work together because yes. Nagash is really scary. Mm. And um, and uh, spoilers: Nagash did make it to <laughs> eventually. The eventually, he's a, he's a slow boy. But he <laughs> he was a slow boy, but um, not before 
uh, I think one of the silliest games, but a good, a great game yeah. of Nagash just hunting and killing griffhounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just trying to deny him. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that, it was great. We got to wander around and kind of like get a sense of all the games as the event was progressing. And, uh, I saw a unit of 40 skeletons fighting every single unit in the Stormcast army, apart from some birds and dogs who were taking on Nagash, <laughs> the Lord of the Undead. Uh, and that would be a really fun game. Really yeah. I really wish I could go through everybody. Um, yeah, there were so many good moments. Like, like, yeah. The other game that we have to mention, cause it's going to be important. Oh, and it's I my favorite. One. I don't know what you're going to talk about. It's my favorite scenario. So most of the, in most of these cases, what we did was say, here's a match play scenario, mm. play this. And this is the theme, Yeah, you know, um, play this in, in whatever way feels appropriate to you and your opponent, but here's the theme of the game and here's here are the stakes. Here are the stakes. Here's the consequences. Uh, but for this one, we did create a custom scenario. So, uh, Pete Fee, uh, from discord, uh, brought his Skaven and because of the numbers involved, we had to do one, two V one game. Hmm. So this was a two V one game against, uh, Laura's fire slayers and Alex's Stormcast. And we did a game that was set underground beneath the main battle. Yes. Where their board was divided into quadrants. And even though their table was smaller, with the, the quadrants mapped onto quadrants on our board. Yeah. And each quadrant, oh, well, uh, a sextant, I guess, because there were six of them, um, had a column in the middle of it. Mm. And we, we did the columns a bit like the wards in the last game where we played prior to this. Um, the battle, the, you know, the, the mind sorcery, the mind sorcery, we destroyed the wards mm. thing. Uh, not that you could destroy the columns, but if you did a certain amount of damage to the columns, you could treat them as a unit, you could do damage to them. If you did that amount of damage, um, then the ground above collapsed. Hmm. And on a natural, um, on a, and then you rolled a, a d6, and on a 6, uh, squadron next to it would collapse as well, right. create these kind of cave-ins. Hmm. And that meant in our board, when that happened, every unit... When? <laughs> every, <laughs> when that happened, every unit... Standing in that quadrant took D6 mortal wounds and extra mortal wounds if it was a unit above a certain size. Unless they had the fly keyword mm. where on a four, five, on a, on a four, five, six, they stayed where they were. And on a one, two, three, they went down to the other game yeah. and they fell through the ground and ended up in the other game. And so that. I don't want to spoil some things about the actual outcome, but I was uh, like that, that completes the map of what was going on. Yes. And the reason this was rad is partly because everyone's buy-in, but also because it meant that you and I, like we got, we actually like people were worried about obviously how long it was going to take us to play our game, but we motored through that game. Yeah, like, we were on it. round five while some of the thousand point games were still resolving their third turn. I, I don't quite know how, how that happened. <laughs> I think, well, you and I know our armies really well. That's that true. was, That's that was like, and it was like, we're just going to do this, this and this. Yeah. But it's also partly that like, we weren't, we knew that to some extent the outcome of the showcase game was so dependent on everyone else that you and I didn't have to make finickety little decisions. You know what I mean? We didn't yeah. have to be like min-maxing every possible possibility or, or like, you know, and I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead. Cause I think this is really kind of what the, the attitude I walked away with, but like we didn't, we could just do what kind of felt right or looked cool mm. rather than, um, trying to, trying to win. Like in a huge way. Obviously we both had ideas of how to win, but it wasn't like, you know, when piling in and stuff, it didn't really fit, felt like it mattered if, if every pile in was 100% optimal to get the most bases like, in contact and, you know, just like eyeball it, just, yeah, okay, they're in, they're not close in. enough. Yeah. They're close enough. Um, so, um, I think in the interests of, of sanity, I don't think we can do a turn by turn run. 
no. through our game. There also, are, partly because it was a month ago. I but. think it's, uh, yeah, I think the thing to do is highlight great moments from that game. And also, perhaps if we can in order, the key moments that affected our game from, yeah. from, from the other tables. Right, yeah. So, um, it opened with, um, we're not going to bother going with like who had turn order and when, because it's just yeah, a it huge matter. thing. <laughs> it's just so big. Um, but basically like, yeah, it was just a big, like multi, multi-flank mashup basically. Mm. Um, but one thing that happened that was a big kind of game changer for me early on is I got, uh, my army's faster than yours basically. And I got to the horn fastest. I got the Zangor Shaman mm. there straight away. Um, and one thing you had done is uh, the thing that you do a lot, which is you formed the like Stormcrest defensive box. It was like your central section yeah. of the battlefield looking at me. I could get to your flanks and things. I wanted to draw you away to the flanks, but you built like uh, a huge box of death, basically like facing that mm. um, central area with a lot of ranged firepower. Yeah. So I had the, uh, the long strikes uh, because we were just throwing everything down. A lot of things that normally quite high price in smaller games are just there and they suddenly get to do what they do and be very effective at it. I also had the, the Knight Venator, who's mm. the kind of uh, winged archer expert and they were all in kind of a, a central position and uh, the sequiturs were in front of them and they had some heroes around that could buff them and, and stuff like that. It was just quite a... I just wanted a, a big meaty brick that would be very difficult yeah. for you to dismantle. I was with. literally like looking at Fee significantly and looking at that section of the board <laughs> yes. and then looking at his warp lightning cannons and then looking at the column that would collapse that section <laughs> of the board and then looking at Fee and then looking at the, like, oh, please break that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's the, the weakness of concentrating your forces in our crazy multi-faceted scenario. And uh, like when I was going around the tables and just kind of like saying hello to people and seeing people's games, I took particular interest in that table underground because I was like, oh, how's, How's, how's the health on the, on the pillar there? Like any interest in, in collapsing that? No? Okay, good. And just kind of like just taking the temperature. N- not too much because it didn't end up surprisingly. <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, that was, that was a constant, yeah. like tactical bit of intrigue. And so we had like, we had a, a sort of a cagey start. Like I basically wanted to bog you down in the middle with Zangle, which was successful actually. They were really good. They're good. But the long strikes were horrifying. They, they killed were, the Zangle Shaman in a single round of shooting. They did. With no, with despite lookout, sir, despite being partly behind a big rock, just didn't matter. That yeah. is a dead sangle shaman. And that was really huge for me because that was like a fast wizard that switches off the buffs for both the enlightened and the skyfires. Mm. And this was the debut of my enlightened and skyfires that have oh, been, yeah, you know, mm. I've been working on for so long. And, uh, they were, <laughs> they lost all of their value, like almost immediately because of that. Yeah. Um, so if you roll six to hit, they do two mortal wounds, um, with an ability suitably called headshot. So basically they just shot it right in their head immediately. Yeah. <laughs> just, as soon as the first thing, like, I think they had a kind of sharpness. It's the first time they'd fought for a long time and they just saw a primary target and nailed it like straight away. I think it was fair to say, and this is not, and there's another thing about this is it was so much fun that this doesn't matter at all, mm. but you had some extremely hot dice, like pretty early. I remember yeah, like it was a while sure. ago and I couldn't really remember the particular roles, but there was a lot of like four ups to hits where they were all sevens. Yeah. Like how'd that yeah. happen? Yeah. <laughs> I had some really hot dice. And the, the other thing is like, it's really interesting how both armies scale up to that level. And when Stormcast scale up to 4,000 points, oh my God, the shooting is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy. It was my longest phase, which is like nuts for a Stormcast army, really. Like, yeah. It, it was by far, it was like the equivalent of your magic phase almost. Yeah. Uh, well, my magic phase ended up quite a lot shorter because I couldn't get anything in range. Yes, that's true. Because it's like 18 inches. Because a yeah. huge board, 18 inches is not very far, whereas yeah, yeah. you had quite a lot of long range shooting. And so it was like just a storm of fire yeah, coming yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and then we had some, like, so, and obviously you had the Star Drake, which was like such a big threat 
yeah. like waiting to come in. I was, I was being cagey with the Lord of Change, mm. um, trying to wait for the right moment, uh, to bring him in. But I knew I needed to get the Lord of Change into range of your guys for the purposes of setting them on fire. Of course. Um, and, um, so, you know, as we, you know, there's lots of, I think what I will do in order to like cover off the details, cause we're inevitably going to forget things. Um, like, um, um, I will, we have a lot of photos and things. So I'll put them up in the show notes as well for this episode with a little, bit of, a little bit of commentary to help yeah. people kind of visualize all of this. Cause That's there's cool. so much. And I'll do that for some of the photos we've been sent as well from other people's games. But yeah, loads of just like individually, like, um, fun and, and sort of heroic moments. Like there was a battle between pink horrors and I think the Palidors and, and Vanguard on one side of the board. That yes. We can't even really go into because it's, it's like just a different game war. of age of Sigma that's happening over there. There's a, an amazing, uh, on the, my left flank, um, which is Lord Tantris's. <laughs> oh God, he was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, Tantris if, is like Tantris.exe uh, has stopped responding. Yeah, like, that, it was so perfect and so funny. And I might as well actually talk about this now because right, I've yeah. back to the wider game. But um, he basically, he went over to the left flank to try and reinforce it in the face of some screamers. I think. Yeah, I sent all my screamers and, and the chariot. The chariot. And um, there were some just liberators protecting it. And Tantris went over with... Um, some other stuff later on to try and fix it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, all he had to do was make a charge. And, uh, I rolled like, I'd failed the charge. I rolled like three or something and I needed like four. Yeah. And so I used the command point to re-roll and, uh, it just rolled straight into snake eyes. And it was just like, <laughs> was just like staring gormlessly into space because he's, he's so broken now. Like yeah. as with uh, anyone who's the podcast for a long time will know that he's, he's gone through hell and been reforged so many times that he's just like, you know, if you just keep, if you keep photocopying a photocopy, <laughs> you get, you get this version of Tantris. He's a badly Xeroxed ass. Like, yeah. like the, the, um, the best thing is cause those screamers are like ripping apart a unit of liberators yeah. and it's like, the image ah! of them. You're like, you know, like, you know, there's sort of like, there's a crash of thunder and here's the Dracoth and, and, you know, yeah, and yeah. Tantris, like, and it's like, you know, like, sir to the four, like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, help us, sir. Uh, 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 I think he got over there eventually, but by the time it was far, far too late. Yeah, it, was it was like the opposite of a heroic, you know, saving charge. Right. Like. Yeah. And I think he, he, yeah, he was hilariously ineffective, <laughs> which is absolutely perfect. <laughs> because like, like a lot of my heroes had like big hero moments. Obviously, the Zango Shaman getting shot in the head was unfortunate, but like the Ogrid Thaumaturge went like straight up the middle yeah. and like straight into the front line of your army, killed a lot of Segretors by himself. He did work, yeah, and good. then and then got like cut down in glorious combat, mm. like. But like having done his job, which was to like, because I kind of wanted to stop you getting, I wanted to stop you moving <laughs> your like unkillable box of death because also not enough stuff of yours was dying to make it really matter that you lost the reinforcement points because mm. while this was happening that orc war was crashing into the storm keep mm. you lost your reinforcement points but you were sitting on 700 reinforcement points that you didn't know how to use and also i had um like a, a 400 odd points of paladins in space yeah like I had, I, and the prime in fact like i had loads of stuff in space before the game even started i was, I was fighting with uh, like two-thirds of my army yeah and i couldn't shift it really because mm. it was too far away um and so um and also then i think it was the game uh one of the, the games i think it was ewan and, and james's game gave you because the seraphim won they captured the relocation orb and that gave you the ability to resurrect a hero whenever yeah. you wanted to yeah. which you, so you had so many ways to bring things back i knew this that it was like Whereas my fate points were building quite slowly. Like I got a little, like people weren't, cause it, so the reason the way the fate point works is I was harvesting 
points from other games, but it was only on a four up. Yes. So, when, so when they cast a spell on a four up, I got a point. And if Archeon had won that game, that would have gone to it works all the time. And because the Seraphim one eventually switched it off, but I wasn't getting them in like by the bucket load, mm. which meant I couldn't just keep bringing stuff back. And I knew quite early, like I'm going to want my Lord to change again. Yeah. And I, I started planning for that. Like I want 36 fake points. Mm. Um, and so, um, I was basically just playing the game of like, stop you from moving this unshiftable death box onto the, onto the central objective. Cause I'll probably never Hard get you get out off. of there again. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also like, keep you in that box because eventually fee can collapse it. Yeah. And that'll make such a big difference. So like the Ogre Thamato is just running like across the board and smashing into that front line and doing loads of damage and forcing you to kind of like pile in and surround him for yeah. a turn was like, that was his entire job. Mm. Like I've got this thing about him that he's like the, the captain Scarlet of Minotaurs and he can't die. Yeah. Uh, Cause of fate won't let him. But that was like, maybe this is the point where he's learned how to abuse that. <laughs> it's like, just like moo, yeah. crash, lightning and off he goes. Yeah. <laughs> Finn. Um, so yeah, so we ended up with, um, but it did get a little cagier and I want to talk about, uh, so there was, there was lots of good moments as other games ended. So there was a moment that was really huge and actually we'll come back to how huge it was, <laughs> but the skirmish game ended obviously among, was one among the first games to end. Yeah. And that skirmish game was, um, I believe it was Tom's order versus, and I can't, I know Tom's Zinch and I, uh, for the life of me, cannot recall the name of the person he's playing it's really sorry tom's opponent who won that game hmm. uh with stormcast in a skirmish game and it was the good skirmish scenario the artifact hunt scenario yeah and we wanted to make this like actually literally true so whoever won that could give you or me an artifact right and it's a bit of a retcon it's like this happened before the battle rather than someone comes up and says sir we found it it's like it's almost like a a D move or something like that yeah like, or a like a pen and paper rpg thing where it's like oh you've had this all along and but that that also allows us to have fights across time as well as yeah space. it was really cool but like because um order won that mm. that gave you the ability to pick an artifact uh, mid-game it was huge that was a it, like so many things that people that people did on other tables ended up being huge in our game and and obviously i picked an item that gave a mortal wound save to the star drake and the Star Trek's only weakness is mortal wounds, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or just like what, uh, apart from just one off delete spells, mortal wounds are all the, is all the Star Trek really fears. And suddenly I had this like four, I think a four plus save against mortal wounds for the rest of the game. Thanks to that one fight, that one skirmish battle. Yeah. That one treasure hunt. And we'll get back to that, how, why that was so important. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, but then, so we had this wonderful moment because I, the Lord of Change doesn't like shooting at all. Mm. And I was getting shot to pieces. Yeah. But I got him into the center. And I knew I had to start putting damage onto the Star Drake, and you committed the Star Drake to charging the Lord of Change. And this, by this point, the Zangor were all over the place. Like it was a big, big fight. The mm. Enlightened were in the front line fighting you. We had fights going on everywhere. So the combat phase started to take a while because we pick points to activate things. And this is, if the ending hadn't been so spectacular, this would easily be the moment of the game for me. <laughs> I agree. Um, so you charge the Star Drake into the Lord of Change. This yeah. is a death, the Lord of Change is on three wounds. This is a dead Lord of Change. So this was, uh, I should say that this was my, my round of charges. This was the formulators going in. This was the sequiturs going into the center. This was everything that was, is designed to fight the star drake just going yeah. in on the point and i did all, all my charges like rolled them all got them off and this was going to be this but, was yeah. to me this is the smash phase this is when i would like the glorious kind of like yeah the, the the horns are blown and like there's a lot of there's some big doots in this doctor um oh, yeah. oh god this yeah. is also the turn where <laughs> dr doots dooted the, the the ultimate horn 
He did killed it, killed like fourteen four Zangor or something with yeah. this crazy dude. Yes, yeah. And then, and so basically, so this is what happened. So this and this huge series of charges, and you, I think, not really fearing what would happen if I activated the Lord of Change, started activating elsewhere. Yeah. So you activated the Fulminators, you activated the which were ripping apart Zangor, I think. Activated the Sequiturs. You were you, you were being quite um, cautious, hmm. and then literally as you were running out of things to activate that weren't the Star Drake. Meanwhile, underground, <laughs> yeah. um, Fee's uh, Help It Abomination mm. deals the final bit of damage to the central column that's underneath your army. Yeah. And we realize at this point, as that quadrant collapses, that the the bases, the, as you have finished a charge, the bases on the Star Drake and the Lord of Change are a quarter inch apart. And the line of the center of the board goes exactly through that quarter inch. I mean, this isn't even... This isn't even, we, it's not an exaggeration. Like it, it was, was exactly, exactly there. Like sense. the Lord of Change was exactly in the quadrant that wasn't hit and Star Trek was exactly in the quadrant that was. Yeah. And obviously Star Trek can fly. And then suddenly it's just, it's just chaos everywhere. Like half the Stormcast army is falling into the ground. Yeah. Like Lord, Dr. Dutes gets swallowed by the earth and there's just a huge round of cheers. <laughs> <laughs> he came, he came back. He but, did, he did because like, he you dooted the dude. Yeah. Like he, uh, he's achieved a kind of transcendence that few yeah. heroes in the Stormcast army could ever hope to achieve. Um, and he, and they fall on the ground. And then you rolled a one for the Star Drake. So the Star Drake then falls through the ground into yeah. the other game. <laughs> yep. So I, <laughs> which <laughs> saves the Lord of Change's life. Cause it's just like, yeah, but it was yeah. like, it was, the, I mean, it was, it was hilarious, but it was also such a perfect zinch moment of mm. like, there's no way this Lord of Change survives this unless the ground literally opens up <laughs> yeah, underneath yeah. the Star Drake by accident zinch right now. Plan or <laughs> exactly. Like, it was uh, so good. And there's uh, one for a moment, it was the ceremonial passing of the Star Drake to the other table because like you know they get to play with my star drake now like that's that's the deal like uh so my star drake just went around trying to eat a help it abomination for a for a turn or two yeah we get so when you when you fell down if you could fly you could make an attempt to fly back up yeah yeah so it did get back up eventually but it it was such a wonderful moment wasn't it moment um and that actually put me in quite a good position because like you were your momentum was really robbed by that i was was relying on that charge for sure and it was around this time that um and I think I, I knew at this point that I was going to get my auxiliaries. So, like, I've got another thousand point army coming on. Yeah. Like, this could change. This could turn. They're tough as well. They could fight. <laughs> at which point, 20 naked dwarves run into the backfield of the Skaven army and knock down another pillar. They do. And then roll a six, <laughs> which collapses the one next to that. So, right after, as I'm busy laughing at your entire army falling down a hole, yeah. the, the entire backside of my board <laughs> falls down a hole as well exactly. and kills like four of my heroes yeah. the gaunt summoner falls down a really deep hole the Cursling falls down a really deep hole mm. loads of the pink horrors fall down a hole loads of the zangle fall down a hole twice because some of them were on the, your side and some yeah. of them were on mine yeah, <laughs> so it's just it's just madness at it's this point like, yeah, like, sure. um but it was so much it was so much fun because of that um and and meanwhile nagash is now one and yeah, he's, and he's on his way. He come, yeah, he's about to come through this, uh, the realm gate. We set up a realm gate uh, on the side where Nagash would come through, and and he does. And um, Jim's done such an awesome job painting that model, and, he, and it's such an awesome, imposing model. Suddenly, it's there, and uh, it's, it, it was a really exciting moment where my Star Drake flew back up, and you had the Star Drake, the Lord of Change, and Nagash all on the same, and it felt like these titanic forces. Yeah, Grand Alliance is just well. Clashing. So, like, so what happened? Listen, so the Lord of Change died oh, right yeah yeah lord change died and then um the uh destruction army arrived on the other side 
And then the changeling died, and that was my last hero. Mm. Um, but we shot him. Yeah, he shot this changeling to death. Um, but then my auxiliaries arrived, which were led by a chaos lord on a manticore with uh, an icon of Zinch. And it looked really over for me at this point, like, cause I'm just mm. out of, of stuff, but I had been sitting on, like, my backup plan. Just went and got the huge tray of summoning points <laughs> and just, that's one Lord of Change, please. And so, like, added a full health Lord of Change back to that moment. So yeah. it's like, Lord of Change rips its way back into real space at the same time as the Star Trek flies back out of the hole it fell down and, and the gash emerges like, from a... Just, like, slowly steps out of this portal. Uh, yeah. It was just the, the wrestling entrance. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, so good. Um, and that kind of led us into the end game. So basically what we did for the end game is the, the pillar, the, 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 the big horn was in the center of a, like a ring of ruins. Mm. And the idea was that the control zone then expanded from base contact with the horn to the entire ring. And we entered a kind of sudden death mode where simply channeling it was enough to win the game mm. at that point, rather than just, rather than having to gather the points from the objectives. And that means anyone can win. Um, the destruction army faced a problem in just getting there in time and all of your heroes were converging on it. Yeah. I, we, should, we should talk about how the destruction thing works precisely because they came, they came on the opposite board edge to the Nagash. Yeah. So it was now four points. Time. Yeah. Mm. So it was actually, yeah, all four. But there was like, there were a lot of like scattered bits of like not dead yet bits of my army and your army yes. in their way. Mm. So they almost, they were faced with the challenge of almost using our stuff as like charges to piggyback right like to get closer yeah, which is very orc which is very orc um and i mean while on the other side nagash just doing like i remember chimp's disbelief that a lord of change can only cast twice mm. because nagash can <laughs> so cast eight like spells eight spells yeah and it's like what but you're supposed to be the master of magic it's like yeah but i cost 300 points and yeah Nagash is like seven or eight hundred yeah um and so it versus just the nagash magic pain bus like the, uh, so many good moments. The Dark Earth War Queen went straight for Nagash. Like, and actually, like, I think took a wound off him before getting completely, like, annihilated. Yeah. And, uh, then I think Nagash hurt someone and they just healed right back up. Yeah. That's exactly. Um, yeah, threw my, like, blood crushes into him. And mm. there's like, there was a moment where I thought you and I might have to work together to stop Nagash. Um, so we had, like, a cool moment of, like, I think the Paladors, like, trying to get out of the way of Nagash as they he, like, casts, like, an umbral portal ahead of them and, like, deletes the, <laughs> deletes yeah. the Lord Aquila. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, blood crushes of corn smash into Nagash from the side to try and slow him down. Yeah. And actually, in doing so, I think prevented him from being able to get to the center. Yeah, there was some important movement shenanigans, basically, uh, uh, the thing that Nagash could have done because he can fly is that he can retreat out of combat over units and get close to the center. Yeah. But because of a, the, the sort of the spacing at the time with a lot of different units that were coming in on him meant that he, his base just wouldn't fit in any of the, he was too big, he was too large. Uh, and so, yeah, he just couldn't quite escape the combat. So there, there, there was this kind of flurry of panics turning on the Lord of death, know, yeah. death. Uh, and a lot of Stormcast paid the price. Uh, the Paladors, I think, were just deleted from existence. The yeah. Aquila, it was, but it was this moment where it's like Paladors and Corn Blood Crushers just like trying to slow him down. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it was, so, it was such an awesome image. image like, it's, it's the most metal thing that could have happened. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and, but then what it came down to is the fact that the, the Star Drake got back out of the ground. Yeah. And the Star Drake was in position to channel and win the game for yes. you. Yeah. And this is as we draw to the the conclusion. This is the morning of the Sunday at this point. Mm. And I think Kemp and I realized the same thing, which is that if you don't, if that Star Trek doesn't die now, you've won. Mm. Like it has to die. And so we basically had to pour everything, like every bit of magic a Lord of Change can muster, everything yep. Nagash can do 
into the Star Drake. And so now the Star Drake, the, you know, your new general, kind of this heroic Stormcast figure on the back of this massive dragon is just like, I guess, I just like, I imagined it as like, just like pouring lightning energy hmm. into the spire, basically, as both the Lord of Death and the Lord of Change try and rip it to pieces and tearing chunks out of it. Yeah. But that four up mortal wound save, one in a game of skirmish a day earlier, <laughs> just completely sapped their ability to hurt the Star Drake hmm. to a certain point, to the point where we got it to one wound. And one wound. And let's also say that the Star Drake took a couple of wounds while he was underground. From the Hellpit From the Hellpit Abomination. Yeah. So all of that contributed to the, 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 the Star Drake's... <laughs> Stats so it's point. there channeling it's, so it's on worried. its last it's on its last leg so yeah. like if it dies the game isn't over but no, it, sure. it opens the game up to everybody else yeah. basically because yeah. you're after your heroes have to get in range and all the rest of your heroes are and also even this was a random chance because the way we decided is if there are multiple heroes inside the the, the channeling pit basically mm. you roll a dice to determine which one is channeling so yeah, rather than I had like four people in there. Yeah, so and, it, and it, it was very lucky that he, he was the Star Drake. Because yeah. if it had been any of the others, we could have probably killed it. Yeah, he could just zapped one of them. Yeah. So it all comes down to this. There's mm. one wound left and we're like, has Tom just won? Because like, we can't shoot it. Because it's, you've, you know, it's really almost impossible to shoot uh, mm. the Star Drake and not yeah. it's in range. But is anything in range? Yes. <laughs> one, one thing, thing is, is in, in range. range. A Doom Diver catapult. The Doom Diver from the the forces of destruction coming on, coming from the east. <laughs> exactly. A doomed over catapult, if you're not aware, hopefully you are, is a goblin in a pointy hat <laughs> with a little wingsuit on loaded into a catapult. catapult yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and so it basically all comes down to can this one doom diver goblin fling itself through the air and kill a star drink <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before it can do the ultimate honk. And it was the best watching that hit. It hit. It hit. It wounded. It wounded. And then you rolled a natural six for the save. Oh, yes. Which means the Star Drake heals. And he... <laughs> back up to two wounds. He just ate that goblin there's right the only, out There's of no the other air. canonical way of thinking about this. Yeah. Other than like, <laughs> yeah, feel better now. <laughs> yeah. And then he roars a final scream and the, the pillar shatters and the ultimate honk ripples across the, uh, across the, across the zone. The zone, yeah. So realigning all of those realm gates. Uh, with back to order, Azir, yeah, with order, and uh, that that stormkeep is is connected with Azir is reestablished, and um, Fort Tantris, is, which was the fallen fort, will will rise again. Tantris yeah. won't; he's <laughs> going to be quietly retired. <laughs> but uh, oh god, it was just it was yeah. like the fact that it came down to it was breathless at the end. It was it was astonishing stuff, and and again, just all the moments that led into that. The fact that the only reason the Star Trek was wounded was because it fell down a giant hole and had to fight. Uh, escape an army for a, a turn um the fact that he had the save at all that allowed him to survive was because of a little skirmish game that happened mm. at some some point in the past the fact that the fact that you know um i was able to slow down the gash was about the auxiliaries arriving from a different game like it's, yeah you know yeah, it's, well yeah there's, there's so many kind of moments that kind of fed in and um it was super gratifying and really exciting like it was such a good story like you're in the story and you kind of you're part of it but it's, it's out of control enough to be so surprising at the same time that, that it, I'm, it was remarkable that it came to such a cool crunch moment yeah well. like in that final turn the stakes felt really high <laughs> and we had to you know we had to like change some of the rules on the fly just to kind of not mm. to engineer that scenario but to prevent things from simply ending mm. like you know just to make also sure going 
or from going on forever. That's or from going on forever. Yeah. And so we had to do some sort of, but the point is that it was an act, it, you know, I do a lot of pen and paper role playing and mm. it felt more like in some ways like that, that sort of collective buy-in that in a good tabletop group everyone has where it's like yeah. everyone's invested in this working. So no one's going to go, Oh, but I want to do it like this. Like you can have those scenarios in pen and paper. Absolutely. And, but you almost know how to recognize them in pen and paper. Whereas like mm. this one person just wants to break the game. And therefore, it's not really going to be fun for everyone because they're going to build a character that kills all the monsters and yeah. just wants to kill and loot things. And, you know, that can be a way of playing the game, but you have to build the group so that that's appropriate. This felt like we could do this mad game, definitely the best game of Age of Sigmar I've ever played yeah. because it was 27 people playing <laughs> simultaneously. A entwined uh, narrative game. Yeah. Um, like, just, you know, almost entirely painted armies, I think. Yeah, like, sure, and, yeah. sorry, it just looked great. Yeah, in this. Yeah. And it, it was possible because everyone had like you know we gathered everyone because we were still figuring out the morning of the saturday so like crowded around a little laptop just going yeah because we still match people together because also we wanted to you know but because it had to be hand designed Mm. like we you know we went through i asked people to let us know which armies they were bringing in advance and it was okay to change and what approximate point values but we had to figure things out we had to figure out matching armies that made sense thematically were approximately the right size, but also trying to make sure that players uh, played with people of a similar experience level or attitude to the game. Mm. You know, there's, and that's not to say that like there there were certainly, there were no like wild outliers in terms of attitude to the game in that group, but you do want to make sure that people who are, you know, Brand new to the game. Brand new, maybe not playing towards super. Yeah. Or or if they are like, well, you know, one of the things was that like, I, I believe, I don't know. I think it was, both of the people Fee was playing against, and I might be wrong about this, and if I am, apologies, were like a little less familiar, or I hadn't played as much as, as Fee has because he's played loads. And yeah, I was like, yeah. well, I, I trust that he's yeah, a good sure, teacher, sure. so it's like, yeah, yeah. that'll be, he's a good person to entrust with the 2v1. Not mm. that uh, almost anyone could have done it, I think, but it was those considerations. Mm. And so it was like hand designing this experience for every single person involved, which is something that I'm really glad we can do mm. with this, with a community like this, and that's amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like not as repeatable as you'd as you'd think you know what i mean it's like yeah, and it's, not that it should be but it's like it's not a trivial thing to figure out and mm-hmm. um, um crucially it wouldn't be possible i think were we selling tickets to our narrative event and anyone can come along yeah yeah, yeah. you know what i mean it's like it helps so that we know people sort of or that yeah, people of course. can be an email t- contact in advance and like, and also i mean just to stress like it wasn't the entire event wasn't about that narrative thing. It was just like, that happened to be the biggest event of the weekend. Um, yeah. Like, uh, there are those people playing different systems. There was some Star Wars there, um, Adeptus Titanicus, people playing loads of, um, Shadespire as well. Uh, and it wasn't like the core concern, but for everyone who, who turned up, like, I really hope that everyone really enjoyed it. I, th- I feel like everyone did. We had a good feedback. But uh, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I also think that, um, nothing being decided until the day, is ideal in some ways because like it's you can't game it if you don't know what's going to happen mm. <laughs> like you can't create an army that's going to crush the thing that the scenario that's coming you know you've got to improvise on the day or yeah. play with the spirit of the day and, and it was nice to kind of gather everyone around and and reveal what their matchups were going to be yes yeah that was and really like fun. that was and, and um and i think the reason i talk about all of that is is because it's like the thing i came away with was like that is the most fun i've ever had playing this game and despite the mad logistical challenge of pulling it off. It was in some ways the least stressed I've been playing Age of Sigma, which stretches everything from our games to tournament games I've played because it was just so obviously about just having a nice time and it really didn't matter who won anything. For sure. That Mm. like, you know, it was the fact that you and I forgot to pay attention to how many points our armies were. 
Mm. But we kind of had a ballpark, but we didn't fuss about it. No, no. Like, they, they weren't the same. The point so it was, like, probably a couple hundred points difference. Don't really know which way. Mm. Didn't matter. And, like, you know, not to say that this is the ultimate vindication of some of the ideas of what Age of Sigmar was originally designed to be, but it felt like unstripping away some of the complexity of scenarios, some of the complexity added by things like artifacts and allegiance abilities. We we didn't go nuts with artifacts, for example. Yeah. Like taking away that stuff, um, which for a game of this size is pragmatic, I think, but also like just chilling out about some of the kind of competitive vagaries of the system and just mm. like kind of doing what feels cool or like what suits the narrative and like playing basically mm. like role playing mm. was so much more entertaining than a lot of the games of Age of Sigmar I've played. Like, and I've had really good competitive games of Age of Sigmar, but something about the the time investment versus the relative looseness of the system, like, this just felt like a better use of that system. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I really agree, agree with that. I think it showed me how flexible this system could be, almost. It's like, oh, wow, we could just sort of fuse this into almost a, a pen and paper RPG-style tournament structure. It's not a tournament at all, but um, yeah. event structure. And the system bends that perfectly ably. There are so many scenarios that you can use. Um, there are so many, you know, it's very easy to add rules on into it. And I, whenever, when I look at like narrative event packs, I always see them just massively overcomplicate the game. Mm. And I hope that we didn't do that with a lot of the sort of stipulations and things. I, I, I don't think we put too much extra sort of head, headroom onto the top of the game. Um, by just uh, people rolling four places after spells to deliver a token is as, complicated as it got and that feels manageable i think there was like there was the only thing that was a bit hard for certain people was the the iron jaws versus order defenders games had to keep track of two different kinds of reinforcement points right because it was like both the magic stuff and also your reinforcement points yeah and that but that was as complicated as it got yeah uh, it, it, we could have streamlined that by making them both token systems and then i would interpret my own tokens differently and that would stop them yeah doing the maths. yeah but it's just small things like that uh, but otherwise i think everyone just got to play a fun game and like honestly people were free to change the scenarios they wanted as well like it, it, i think there's something there's something really valuable about giving people the uh the power to define their own games in, in yeah a, this a, is why your game is important this is event scenario. here is a scenario if you don't have one in mind yeah but if you want to play here's your else. opponent yeah. figure it out yeah yeah like we need this from you hmm. but go about it however feels right to you is a really nice yeah it's it's, it's improvisational and that feels risky and scary, almost like if you're trying to, we've never done this. <laughs> we've never done this before. Yeah. Um, but like just turning up on the day and having a few ideas in a dock and then actually suddenly having to adapt everything on the fly in an hour. And then I think it turned out kind of, kind of cool. Yeah. I was really proud of it. I, I was kind of proud as well. And, and I, thank you so much to everyone for, yeah, absolutely. For, for just like investing in it so much and, and sending us awesome battle reports and just being so fucking cool about it. Yeah, and it, because it really comes down to that, yeah. like, but yeah, it and I think it's, but I also think sometimes people are almost waiting for permission to care less about the mm. the specifics of the rules, if you know what I mean. Because people in 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 playing with strangers scenarios, the reason for that event pack is to create a kind of also for really heavily designing stuff in advance is is to create um a sort of understood baseline mm. for everybody to work from. And that makes sense when you don't necessarily know the attitudes of all the people involved. Yeah. 
but I do feel like I wish uh, I wish there were more things like this mm. because I you know the great thing about tabletop gaming for me of all kinds of the last couple of years is there really is a commonality you get the occasional outlier people with bad attitude or people who aren't fun to play with but broadly speaking I've been impressed by how nice everyone is yeah and I almost kind of want to like liberate people from the strictures of matched play <laughs> in some ways like not, I don't mean that totally seriously but like. I probably won't go to another event like the London GT, for example, because mm. I don't enjoy getting, you know, I haven't played one in second edition, but, you know, think of the equivalents. Like, I don't really want the experience of being tabled by, um, Nagash, <laughs> Nagash or by <laughs> Lord Croak or by a cunning right. rock or in the old days, you know, like all of this stuff. Mean, yeah. Like, um, those things are valid, but they're playing a game I don't really want to participate in. I don't want that to be my only outlet for going and playing with strangers to mm. be this. Like, I've had this experience, and I don't think I've spoken about this on the pod, but like, I, I've been a little disappointed by X-Wing 2nd Edition. Not because I think the rules, I think there are some things they've got to figure out. I think it's on the whole a lot better. Mm. But because the developers of the game overthrowing the status quo and building a new X-Wing hasn't changed the tenor of the community. Mm. And the community was warped enormously by how limited the metagame became and how gamey it became and how far from, I think, the spirit of the game yeah, it got. Really and even fixing the game isn't enough. So, you know, it's like you saw it in the in the evolution of, of Bristol X-Wing from people just showing up with lists they'd built at home to netlisting becoming more and more prevalent as it became more and more necessary uh, you know, it's a situation where if one person netlists aggressively, then someone else will as well, so they have a chance. Um, and even though X-Wing 2.0 is, is a fun and relatively open game, we're still in a scenario of the last little event I did where I didn't really have any fun because it, the, the top lists were the kind of quite rules abusive V kind of boring power list stuff, even at a small local thing. And that changes the tenor of the environment in a big way. Mm. And, um, I really love when there are viable alternatives to playing in that setting where you feel like you have to be competitive, where you feel like if you're not paying attention to points efficiency, if you're not making spreadsheets about the probability of certain amounts of damage happening, you're not playing the quote unquote proper game. Hmm. Like, you know, I think that whole side of it is a bit of a curse sometimes, like, because there's so much fun to be had just enjoying the rules as a medium for having a fun time with mm. a person and being part of a, a cool story like it's yeah yeah oh, man it was so cool it's really good uh, like I, I always sort of haven't thought about it too much since because i've been so mm. busy with the end of the year but like just talking about it now and thinking back on it it was like the fact that people traveled to firestorm and also big shout out to firestorm yeah a fantastic venue uh super good place to do this staff are awesome their shop's brilliant um, the tables were rad and the scenery was awesome. Like everything about it for me was just, yeah, it's I, great, great like thing. I was, I was really glad that I stuck to my guns on that being a, a good location for yeah, it because I'd, yeah. I'd happily go back. In fact, they've, um, yeah, and, and they've expressed interest in having us back. So I'd love to That's do it lovely. again. Yeah. No, they, they were, they were super good and uh, it's such a good place to play war games. The fact that they let us kind of leave our stuff out overnight and it was secure and everything was just like there the next day. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It was just everything yeah. about it was accommodating and brilliant. And uh, thank you everyone for traveling. Um, because I know that people travel a long way uh, yeah. in some cases to, to get all the way down to Cardiff. Um, but hopefully, hopefully it was worth it for everyone. Yeah. Oh, well, man, it was so good. <laughs> it's a nice thing that happened. Yeah. It was so good though. <laughs> 
Let's do some questions, shall we? Do some questions. From some of the same people who were in Yardif. I'll just bring up the thing. I should have done this already. Sorry. Uh, Mitchell writes, Dear Bloodthurston and Senior of Slanesh on Snoot Beast. Uh, a while ago on the main pod, as in CNC proper, you were talking about Destiny 2 and how much of its lore is just Chekhov guns po- Chekhov's guns pointed in various directions. This got me thinking about how much of 40k is the same. What's your favorite mm. huge lore gun that will probably never be addressed? <laughs> Mine is probably the idea that the Om- Omnissiah might be a Catan. Thanks for the pod. I probably wouldn't be waist deep in unpainted plastic if it wasn't for you renewing my enthusiasm each month. It's a really good question because like completely correct about how both AOS and 40k law works is that yeah. you, you set up as many malign, quiet, completely universe destroying threats as possible. And then one day you get to make a box around one of them. Uh, I think for me, it's probably the Tyranid high fleets, um, mm. before the appearance of the, uh, what the great tear across the universe, whatever it was called. The cicatrix maledictum. Lovely. And, uh, yeah, that there used to be one that was just coming up from like underneath, like, uh, just the, the, this ultimate unstoppable hive, uh, hive, that's the thing. Um, Tyranid, uh, force that was gonna definitely obliterate everyone. And it was always, almost here, almost here. Almost here, but never actually arrived. Mm. And then the universe exploded. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I always enjoyed that idea that everyone could just get eaten. Mm. I think, I think for me, it's the, um, whatever the fuck Belisarius Call is doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Traitor Primarch genes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, partly because, I mean, like things like the Blood Ravens as mm. there are a thousand, there are loyalist thousand sons successor chapter. Obviously, mm. obviously. Um, all that stuff, like, that's a, that's a rich vein of, of triggers they probably won't pull on, like, yeah, just confirming that there are loyalist traitors around. That's I'm really super into cool. that. Yeah. That's super cool. I need to read the new, um, the sequel to Dark Imperium book, actually. Mm. The Dark Imperium book, um, is great at painting Call as this interesting, subversive character. Yeah. And I love the, I love the relationship between the Imperium and the Mechanicum. Like, I think that's one of my favorite things about the forces mm. of order of 40k. There's also the, um, actually, and also the sort of the, the fate of the old ones and what the hell the Blackstone Fortresses are, which sure, Blackstone yeah. Fortress goes to in some detail uh-huh. about a little bit more, but like, there's that sense of like, there's more stuff in this particular set of heaven and earth <laughs> than, uh, are dreamt of in Several Horatios, I don't know. <laughs> Several heresies. Yeah, yeah. The, the Your Horatio heresy. heresy. <laughs> uh, good. Uh, good. Um, our next question, uh, comes from Pete Fee, uh, man who collapsed ground, also writes into every episode. Who writes, hi there, Tom Lightning Wizard and Chris Tentacle Wizard. This month's question is, why do you think you've both bounced off 40k to some degree? At the start mm. of 8th edition, you both seem very enthusiastic about it, but you've since gone a bit cool on it. Is this because of a too fast release schedule, something about the way the game plays not appealing, a desire to focus on your existing projects, Kill Team being a more realistic alternative, none of the above? Always love for the pod, Peak slash Fienia. He does ask a bonus Primark question, which we can get to first. Which Primark is which GW game system, and why is Jagat Icon <laughs> Blood Bowl? does he die randomly and in horrible ways yeah maybe he, maybe he kills randomly in horrible ways like trips over a lot um hmm. can't pick up a ball i think i think um i think rebooted gilliman is 40k hmm. because he's very uh and this may be leading my answer to the broader question he's really is very into that codex <laughs> and mm. like he's, he loves his his rules 
That's a good big rule book. He does love a good big rule book. I think he'd hate the uh, AOS rules on four pages thing, which isn't a thing anymore, but no, yeah, yeah. it's one thing. I think he'd be like, well, no, that's not, that's not enough. That's not, <laughs> not enough detail. Not enough. Um, I think, yes, whereas, I mean, who would love the rules on four pages thing? They're not, none of them are like a real freewheeling bunch. Maybe. Quite strict, aren't they? Sanguineous, maybe. Rules on four pages. <laughs> yeah, no, no, maybe. maybe. Like, hmm. Or, um, or Horus. Horus is it, yeah. And like, yeah, interpret it, interpret it how you want, but just yeah. look at my fabulous face and do what <laughs> <Yeah>. I say. <laughs> Horus. Um, do my heresy. <laughs> do my heresy. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, you rolled a, yeah, he, he, he got that four plus roll to convert Primarch to evil yeah, thing down. He did, quite yeah. Well. He did. You've got to admire that. <laughs> you, you, you're a bit of like a Horus Heresy centrist, Thomas. Is what <laughs> there can't be you've any got such... to, He does speak to the people. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to admit. Thing. You've got to admit he does speak to people. Uh, who are the centrists in like, oh, the Tau, I suppose. It's like, well, well, they're all as bad as each other, aren't they, really? If you yeah, think the greater good. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's tentacle beasts on one side and it's, it's just, it's just a lot of Catholics on the air. <laughs> yeah. It's all just pointless killing in the end, isn't it? Let's kill some more people yeah. with this drone. Let's hide. <laughs> that, is, that, that is the canon. <laughs> oh, I really want you to do a Tau audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, Commander Farsight? Nothing. Let's go home. Shall we shoot a gun at it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. uh, not answer the question there at all no uh, so yeah. about bouncing off 40k because i definitely did yeah i think right, right, right. i think i find 40k a little slow mm. personally and a bit like i'm always surprised by like how li- like i think in 40k it's more common for units to just not really do anything in an entire game than it is in in aos where movement is a lot more of a thing like maybe i don't feel 100 percent experienced enough but one of the reasons for that is my first couple of experiences of playing full games of 40k just none of them were like amazing like i don't think i've ever had like yeah a great game that yeah that that strikes the core for me uh, like i just haven't had an exciting game of 40k like i and i think part of it is that the forces you get in the starter box are boring like the way they both operate is quite slow and trudging mm. and that's by no means how like most of the 40k armies operate it's just i haven't had a chance to play those uh the most exciting stuff for me happened has always been centered around the blight drone which is really quick and has you know short range devastating capability yeah and um that's always been exciting for me to play with uh the rest of it though has just been so you're trudging forwards and i think that's partly down to a lot of the way the primaris seem to be designed isn't that they're they have a lot of kind of commanders and things that buff shooting if they're within radius which means that you just sort of castle them up and then march them forward or stand them still and i do like admittedly i do that with my stormcast sometimes but there's always fast attack options with stormcast and dropping down from space and lots of other things and lots of yeah. wild quick movement abilities um and that's kind of what i enjoy about war games i like things moving fast around the table and bashing mm-hmm. into each other uh and sure i'm sure some, a load of armies do that but um standing off at a certain range and rolling lots of dice for shooting uh just hasn't been as appealing to me in the mm. games i've played so far as i've experienced in aos and i think yeah because i think i think kill team got to the heart of that faster like mm. the things that i miss are like tanks and stuff but like i almost don't mind because that sort of like tactical moving and infantry combat stuff is handled so well by kill team that yes. mm. it didn't feel necessary to paint up more mm. stuff than, than is necessary for that 
I think also, I think 40k, because it's more complex as a list building game, um, it's, uh, it, I feel like it's, I don't, I don't think they've done this on purpose, but I feel like 40k is a more entertaining game to plan and build armies in than Age of Sigma, but not necessarily a more fun game to play. Mm. So, you know, it invites cool kit bash ideas and where every piece of gear your characters are equipped with matters and, you know, and you can get into long discussions about what's optimal and what's not. You know, I've had these discussions with Fee actually about like how to build armies for different, you know, and and what, and and poor, I love the codexes. Like I've got a bunch of 40k codexes just because I like the planning stuff, Mm. but I found that so far I preferred that to actually playing. So it's like the window shopping element. Like I can understand when people start new armies all the time because with Age of Sigma, like I'm at a point now where pretty soon I will have painted every single zinch unit there is. And realistically, like, unless I really start caring about like certain weapon variants for Lords of Change, there's no need for me to do anything else with them ever. I can yeah. run every zinch army there is hmm. within reason. And if I can't, then do I really want to? Like, you know what I mean? There's like, whereas with 40k, it feels like everything you build is really specific and, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it feels more ownership on it. I think that's a real strength. And I feel it pull me in and make me want to collect Imperial Fists all the time for some reason. <laughs> but at the same time, do I actually want to play it? Mm. Not a lot, really. Yeah, it's weird because I've not played enough to really level any judgment of the system. But it's just that, yeah, I don't have the urge. <laughs> it's because I've, I've seen what can happen in Age, Age of Sigma, the kind of wild rolls and reversals. And, and, and even the turn system is part of that, actually. Like the fact that double turns are a thing and they aren't in 40k. It's just... I don't know, a bit less drama somehow. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure of what you, you, you're into it, you find drama in different spaces in the game. And I love 40k lore. Like, I yeah. Love, I, the universe is so good. I think that's the thing is we've been so treated to like other ways to play it, like right. Blackstone, yeah, for example, yeah. where it's like, that's my, that's the perfect way in for me to, yeah. to play in 40k stuff. Like I'm doing more 40k stuff than ever. Like I love the Titanicus minis. I love Horus mm. Heresy stuff, but it's almost like the actual battle game at the bottom of it all never feels like the main expression for what I'm into. Mm. That said, I would like to finish up my Necron army next year and maybe try a little bit more with them. Yeah, we could do a nec- some Necron versus Admech. Totally different armies to the corset as well. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Yeah, I, so I don't hope this doesn't come across as too damning because I feel like I'm not coming up with enough experience, but that's why, like, I haven't... It, it, it has never grabbed me, and it's somewhat on it to grab me, I think. You know what I mean? Mm. That system has to, like jump out actually and i did like eighth when i first played it but i think it's because i was hungrier for a little bit more sophistication than age of sigma felt like it was offering at the time but yeah. age of sigma's now had a really good second edition and some of that 40k sophistication is filtered into things like kill team hmm. which gives you access to them it's more manageable yeah, yeah. and it's quicker yeah. and hmm. and also the the consequences feel a bit more kind of real in hmm. some ways when it's just one trooper firing at another trooper hmm. etc our next question uh, comes from Rachel, who writes, Dear Christogor and Tom Gore, what hopes and dreams do you have for an Age of Sigmar skirmish 2.0? Do you imagine it being more or less like Kill Team? Do you envision the plurality of Mortal Realms-themed skirmish games with AOS skirmish at one end of the spectrum and a more granular character-focused Kill Team Mordheimish thing at the other? Keep podding along, Rachel. Uh, P.S. Uh, Northstar figures are bringing out a lovely all-women soldiers kit for Frostgrave, and I'm very excited. Oh, cool. That is cool. Um, I, hmm. <clears throat> I don't want like kill team for AOS. I want Necromunda for AOS because um what I want is so more time. So more time, yeah. I, I want factions that aren't from the main 
armies. Right. Yeah. I, I want sort of sub factions and kind of in between parts of that universe. And uh, that's kind of the stuff that the AOS setting still lacks. Mm. Uh, is just, you know, certain cults, certain, you know, names below the main armies that exist in cities that still fight and, uh, and yeah. um, and even just like, you know, lines of vampires, that kind of stuff, just extra under i don't know how to describe it it's like a sub layer of law to dig yeah. into ne- like a necromunder basically all that said though i would love it to be more like kill team in a specific regard mm. which is that like kill team uses the basic rules but redesigns every faction and obviously like the stat line of a space marine is broadly equivalent between the two but crucially they have the freedom to change it mm. so i would want like skirmish specific war scrolls yeah not just a list of what's valid and what's not but like rethink those units reflect yeah, what they yeah. do i don't want them to be wildly different but i want them to i want games workshop to give themselves the freedom to take things away to um add you know different systems you know the fact that uh, kill team uses a different initiative system to 40k has mm-hmm. alternating activations like bolt action do that you know like because some of those things are just more appropriate Very interesting yeah like <clears throat> i don't think those changes would be a one-to-one fit but i would want like you know kill team is a serious attempt to take the basic kind of vocabulary of 8th edition 40k and make it interesting with five models aside. Mm. And that really needs to happen for skirmish because the yeah. problem with skirmish is that it's just AOS with two rules changes, really like models in a unit can move individually. Mm. That's that it. It's fiercely unbalanced. As yeah. well. <laughs> um, not that balance is everything, but you need enough for people to, not just ruin games themselves by running things they want to run, right? Like, uh, that's yeah. a problem with Skirmish. You need to figure out how magic's going to work in that scenario. You need yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you need a completely different point system. It can't just be a, a derivation from the base points for a completely different game. Yeah, you right? can't just apply a formula. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can, they did. <laughs> but, um, it's not necessarily the best way to create a serious game. Um, I'd love them to do it. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. Like, of all the, like, you know, you know, put the big list of things. I'm like, yep, I'm buying that mm-hmm. is like a new, a Mordheim or a Necromunder equivalent for AOS, mm. um, right in. Cause I loved Mordheim. I loved Mordheim. I know well. maybe we talked about it plenty on the pod, but like we have, but it's always meant more to me than Necromunder. Yeah. Same here. I think the Necromunder comparison is like, so I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see a warband that is, you know, a cult getting into Zine is each cult where they're not fully demon, but they've got like elements of Zinch coming out and, you see how like imperial imperial citizens could become chaos, you know, yeah. uh, and that's a part of the fiction that we've not seen in models really very much. And a smaller scale skirmish warband is a good place to exp- you know experiment with those aspects of the fiction that haven't yeah. been presented previously. Yeah, I'd really love that. That'd be great. That'd be great. I don't know. I have much to add other than that'd be great. <laughs> uh, pretty good. Uh, Kingsley writes, Hi Chris and Tom, new forces in Age of Sigmar seem to be made up exclusively of weird and wonderful new factions that don't really neatly map onto any of the old fantasy tropes. And the number of factions seems to be growing all the time. By contrast, the only new stuff in 40k seems to be add-ons for the Imperials, with only a few extra models here and there for the other factions. And there hasn't really been a new alien faction since the Tau, Hmm. before they got an apostrophe. Personally, I'd like to see more alternatives to the men in full body armor theme. But what would you want from a new Xenos army? And do you think there's room for 40k to expand the new directions while the Eldar languish with their 10,000 year old plastic guardians? <laughs> Cheers, Kingsley. Hmm. Perfectly flat space bears. Perfectly flat? Have you not seen the perfectly flat space bears? I've not the, seen the perfectly flat uh, space I will show bears. you the lexicon entry for perfectly flat <laughs> space bears. Okay, could this be a faction? It is a faction in 40k. They just don't have models. 
Oh my god. <laughs> I'm oh, not oh. joking, Tom. This is a thing. Okay, so we'll explore that in a moment. But I, I, <laughs> this has reminded me actually that um, sorry, calling all the way back to our talk about the uh, the finale to our narrative game. Um, Chimp has given me. Uh, he's got a gargant kit, and he's given me bespoke squashed goblin uh, that will now live on the the base of the star drake oh awesome forevermore so i'm going to add it to the base i'm going to paint him up and it's going to be that 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 one last doom diver that tries to take him down will, will forever live on the base of the that's an incredible idea yeah. that's great um but anyway yes back to the question <laughs> new xenos races new xenos races <sighs> i think the reason why we've not seen really brand new stuff from 40k is because they're still quite early in the rolling out of eighth edition and they've, they've been yeah. so fast just to convert the old uh, factions into eighth edition properly that um like we can't expect to see anything new for ages uh i think that our new eldar offshoots is a really good shout for stuff yeah, they're gonna proper do in re yeah exodites i'd like to see exodites done even harlequins could come back i think mm. they still love harlequins i think that like you could easily see yeah them. um i'm not sure we'll get like striking scorpions and you know all those ranges i used to love re-envisioned but it's a bit like the elves in aos right like that they're, they're, yeah. they're going to come back in different forms i'd be interested to see if they ever brought the old ones back like mm, the slant uh, like yeah right like what 40k lizard men look like oh, that's a really good good point actually yeah like you know if they ever returned or something like that because there's, mm. there's so many i'd actually really like um i don't know if they'd ever do it but i i would love it if there was another human faction out there somewhere that hadn't been in you know protected by warp storms or something you know you see them in the horus heresy books it's not quite it's not a xenos race so i'm cheating a bit but like it's like golden age maybe yeah or like you know a pre-imperium dark age of technology era human faction that's grown completely separately yeah that could be crazy because exciting because there's loads of references to that in the horus heresy books to Mm. like this is this this faction's basically the federation from star trek so we have to set them on fire (laughs) yes yes (laughs) Uh, there's the idea that it, their mission to stretch outwards throughout the, gal- the galaxy and reunite all of humanity was interrupted by Horus, right? They didn't, yeah. they didn't complete that mission. So there's, the further out that you go, there, there's loads of potential for hu- humans that have grown different. The real Xenos was man. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, that would be great. I'd really like that. Um, it's obviously you can, you know, just pull ideas out of a bag otherwise, but I think, um, there's a bunch, there's so many like, you know, Xenos factions that haven't had proper mm. miniatures and things to, to pull from. Including mm. the perfectly flat bears. Perfectly I just want to dry brush a perfectly flat bear. Like, it's the easiest brood to design, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all just bases. <laughs> Buy some bases. <laughs> I think they can fly. So they'd need a flying stand. This but. sounds like something you've definitely made up. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I'll look to the show notes. I can't Google it now because it's in, no, the, we're in the middle of a podcast. Oh, yeah. But nonetheless, I didn't make this up. There are perfectly flat bears in 40k. <laughs> I don't trust me. Um, yes. Good. What are we talking about? Nick writes. Uh, dear destiny dice have unfortunately fallen off the table and rolled under the bookcase. First, thank you both for the wonderful podcast. I came to Miniatures Monthly as a regular Crate and Crowbar listener. Before your podcast, I'd never played a Miniatures game. And only a passing, famili- passing familiarity with Warhammer through PC gaming and a couple of Horus Heresy novels. Um, but still, I thought I'd give it a go, if only to fill dog walks with something a little more interesting than the usual game of What's That Dog Eating Now? 
Uh, following one of your podcasts, I bought a, I bought a small collection of secondhand miniatures, some cheap terrain, grabbed a pile of dice out of the cupboard and sat down one weekend with my kids. I found tabletop gaming to be a fantastic way of bonding with both my son and daughter, uh, who love the stories that we've created together. Daleks have battled space marines and forces led by Captain No Arms, an ultramarine captain who had an unfortunate encounter with the dog. Cybermen have clashed with orcs, and even the occasional dinosaur or Lego man has made an appearance. Our battles have become a weekly event, and the kids would pay every day given the chance. Thanks to you both for being a springboard for some wonderful moments with my family. My question, with two young children, I've had to learn to be a little flexible with the rules, with our battles rapidly moving from tabletop skirmishes to more in the direction of freeform D&D stories. I've learned to adapt, so if the Space Marine wants to hurl the crate he's hidden by at the approaching Cyberman, just because we don't have a rule for it yet, it doesn't mean it can't happen. Obviously, competition matches are exceptions, but have you ever been tempted to ignore some formal rules in your more story-led games with close friends in the name of fun? Obviously, this is actually extremely relevant oh, yeah, uh, to a, the discussion that, we just had. So maybe we sure. don't have to go into huge depth. But in short, yes. And um, the more, you know... The more you do that, the better almost for, for this game system particularly. Yeah, I think so. Like, it is a... I mean, that's the story of how we made the event work, right? It's just like... Uh, coming up with rules on the on the fly for us that would just make sense and be quick yeah absolutely mm. like because i mean pip has expressed interest in trying warhammer but only if she can play with the things she wants to play with which yeah, includes like a plastic dinosaur mm. and some nearby stuff and an upside down plant pot and you know what i mean like you know no with no investment in like because i know that i get a bit stickler for lore and a bit stickler for like rules and things and mm. i like systems and i like order really <laughs> And, and being encouraged to take that off is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because ultimately it's a game at the end of the day. And, you know, um, I mean, people have, have sniffed at the fact that Games Workshop describe themselves as a, a model company that also produced some rules. Mm. That is at least honest. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, definitely. Love, uh, thank you for sending the story. And yeah, it's a lovely story as well. That's really lovely. Yeah, that's super awesome. And I, I'm glad that. <laughs> these two dowdy 31 year old dudes or 30 odd year old dudes uh, <laughs> have, have passed on some real benefit to the world <laughs> um harry writes dear mentions monthly if you're playing a game of kiss marry kill or podcast for an evening with um and your choices were the four chaos gods which okay. would you pick for okay. each and why also where do you stand on the phrase a lighthouse that eats wizards as a description of the emperor <laughs> <laughs> that's very good thanks for the pods harry uh i i agree i mean it's more specifically a description of the astronomican but yes no that fits it works, it, it works. yeah it is it's good um he does eat them. so yeah so your choices are kiss marry kill and podcast for an evening with so most in- interesting conversationalist seems just going to tell a good story I, a good yarn. see i just dis- i feel like this key to a good um you know, podcast relationship is like kind of not being tried too relentlessly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trusting that the other person is invested in, in, in the show in the same way that you are. Mm. Whereas each is just going to talk complete bollocks yeah. and lie to you and try and get one over on you and make you look like, make you look stupid. Oh, maybe it'd be like, maybe Slanesh. I, but I don't want to hear about Slanesh. Yeah. Stories, I mean, it'd know? be very loud. That's the, it's, the good good theme tune noise marine cancellation is going to be an issue um yeah so i think i think they're all like podcast guest is the toughest one because corn it might be nurgle nurgle will be very good on the podcast yeah nurgle will be full of j- jokes relentless jokes uh, yeah good sort of burbly voice yeah good sort edit, of attention to detail edit out the kind of disease sounds of 
yeah. know, flies and vomiting and. I mean, obviously, you. I mean, you, and also, like to be honest, I don't really want to kiss or marry Nurgle. No. Um, I think I, I don't want to kill Nurgle either. I, I think. Like, keep Nurgle I, I think. I think I would. Yeah, have a podcast with Nurgle. Yes. I think I would kill Zinch. And it might be heresy interesting for me. So because lie down here on this psychoanalyst like couch <laughs> and let's let's talk about why you want to kill the army you spent a thousand so hours creating. <laughs> so okay, so it's either kill So I know I want to marry Corn. And the reason for this is I think a key to a stable relationship is kinda of understanding what the other person wants. Yes. And I feel like I understand what Corn wants. Corn hmm. wants skulls and blood for the throne. As long as he keeps flying that. And, and that's, you know, I can respect that. He has hobbies. Mm. I, you know, there's, I don't feel that there'd be too much issue getting personal time. And you know how to spend an engaging time together. Because. Yeah, so I can you, see all you that. shared interest. You know, you pick up some of their hobbies. You get into skulls. <laughs> but, but that means you're kissing Slanesh. And isn't that too obvious? The, yeah, it is too obvious. That's why it's either kill Slanesh, kisses inch, or the other way around. And yeah, uh, kissing inch would be interesting <laughs> who knows what you turn into i mean that's an adventure yeah right? like um i feel like yeah maybe kissing scene should be okay i don't know like beaky beaky yeah not great a little peck but then slash is you get consumed by the tentacle monster not great yeah but it kind of happens either way like the reason the reason <laughs> so, for so. killing each is i just feel like in all of these scenarios these are all built around either a short medium or long-term relationship mm. and i just don't feel like that zinch's strength i feel like as the betrayer yes you know yes like, you don't want to marry zinch no you don't want to marry zinch you don't want to really talk to zinch for any length of time <laughs> yeah. um be around zinch yeah killing zinch yeah and you kiss slanesh because i mean it's what it's for i suppose <laughs> yeah. it's why it exists it's why humanity like yeah. sorry at the eldar i suppose yeah they did too into, much kissing into being too much kissing here it is too much monster. Kissing. Exactly, the kiss, the, the kiss monster. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably settled. Maybe. Is it? Probably. Chris writes, to age of sigma, sigma might, and I can't zinch, it's not butter. <laughs> um, I read recently that GW are going to be getting into the gacha style, uh, blind buying market with a five pound space marine in a sealed bag. Bear in mind, some of these okay. questions are quite old because we haven't potted in a while. Aside from fearing for people's wallets, this made me wonder what other opportunities and product ranges GW should be looking at, particularly in the run-up to Christmas. Where's the AOS mindfulness coloring book? Where's the advent calendar with doors hiding the 24 components that build a mini? Hmm. Uh, Santa's sleigh, pulled by a snoot beast, perhaps. What non-hobby products would you like to see given the AOS spin? Thanks for all the good podding, Chris. Hmm. So that range is... um. Originally released in Japan, I believe it's referring to the. It's come up. It's over. It's Space Marine Heroes. It's out. It's over, over here, here now. now yeah, think, people yeah. buying that, that minis live. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I don't think I need more ways to <laughs> to to buy stuff. I quite like. I don't know. A greater range of mugs, and it's a really lame thing to say. But yeah. I'm always disappointed that there aren't yeah. more interesting mugs yeah, available. Or t-shirts. And I wouldn't wear a t-shirt. What am I talking about? <laughs> Mugs is uh, private home things. That yeah, private home things that don't go outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mugs are good for that, for sure. I, I'm a, a massive sucker for kind of like hobby tool gubbins. Mm. So I bought like a painting handle last week, which is actually really... They're good. Like, yeah. They're genuinely really great. And uh, it's, it improved 
my painting because I don't, you know, take my sweat doesn't peel the paint off the model as I'm holding onto it forever. And, but that's just like a little accessory. Lots of little accessories for Christmas is kind of the sort of thing I'd ask for. Mm. Like the brush holders, you know, that kind of you know, paint, brush soap. Uh, I bought like actually quite an expensive wet palette at Mini, Mini, Mini's Monthly Live. And that's quite good as well. Just stuff around the hobby that's actually like, contributes to the, the hobby. Yeah. Rather than just, uh, or, or, and or a mug. <laughs> yeah. And or a mug. Good. Uh, Tom Hatfield, who we know very well, very. writes in to say, Hi everyone, recently I was watching Hangout and Paint and did a double take when Duncan offhandedly mentioned that Games Workshop used to have a record label. After doing some research, I found out that they only released one album. What's the pod's take on this? In this age of resurrecting classic DW products at Modern Twists, should Warhammer Records make a comeback? So that album is D-Rock, I think. Um, I listened to some of it earlier. <laughs> it's, it's appalling, but like, exactly. It's, it's very, it was, it was the early nineties and yeah. no one understood what was going on with rock music. Um, very good. This um, is very good knowledge. I did not know before this question started. Uh, I'll play you some after the pod. Excellent. Um, I'm to it. It's, it's bad, yeah. but like, yeah. I, I would be all for this, but I feel like it would be impossible to do it unironically now. Mm. And it needs to be unironic because that's where the charm comes from. Mm. And I don't know if, I think maybe they're too self-aware now. Mm. It's too obviously uncool. I, obviously this is a way for me to get to finally do my Warhammer musical, which is all I really want. So it would have to be a, a, a really ironic. That musical, like, it, it can't, like, would you do a completely honest music? Could you? I think you'd, could you do you'd play it completely straight. Um, sure. because, I mean, you know, because we've said it a million times, Warhammer 40,000 is one altogether now from turning into a musical at the best of times. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not arguing that it wouldn't fit. It would fit real well, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe that's, the, so, yeah. <laughs> Hamilton is fading. Uh, we need something on Broadway to reinvigorate the yeah, musical. Exactly. And it's time for Abaddon. It's time for Abaddon. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. Abaddon with exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's basically just Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, okay. That, that is an excellent reason to re- resurrect. Uh, <laughs> you, have to, you have to get some legal framework around it. Probably start a label, probably license all those songs to that label or something. Mm, yeah. I don't know how it works. Who knows? No, me neither. Um, next question comes from Kingsley who writes uh hi Christmas and Tom it's time to draw your names into the war draw your names for the Warhammer Pantheon office secret Santa what do you buy the god who has everything you hope to get one of your mates Zinch and Sigma but what if you draw Nagash from IT the budget is 15 souls cheers Kingsley bonus question which god are you hoping draws your name I think everyone is hoping Nurgle isn't taking part this year well 15 souls buys you 15 human skins and you could probably cover a bit of Nagash with that. <laughs> That's but a very good answer. But which bit? Left arm. Mm. I think now. giving souls to Nagash would be not a great secret center because he'd just be like, 15 souls. These are mine anyway. Yeah. You've just true. given me my own property back. And it's just 15. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I have like billions of these. Yeah. I mean, I would. Offended. I Again, I think that, you know, you want to get corn. Because you know what he likes. <laughs> Again, it's, it comes back to that, right? Yeah. Like, shop, you, shop just, object. you just give him some skulls. Oh, yeah. You're just like, oh, it's skulls. And, and the thing is, he's not going to be like, it's skulls again. It's like, it's oh, like, that's the one thing I <laughs> yeah, like. like yeah. It's the only thing I like. <laughs> <clears throat> he likes blood as well, but, um, 
um yeah like he'd be delighted that'd be really good i think um i think if you were to i think you kind of want sigma to get you or Grungni. You want one of the gods of order. Oh, Grungni would be a good one. He'd, he'd make you something He'd make cool. you something rad. Like, like a really cool letter opener. Corn would make you something ma- rad, but then you'd have like eight mouths and they'd all scream all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Zinch's gift would backfire, obviously. Mm. Slanesh's gift would be too much. Nurgle's gift would kill you, literally. Um, any, most of the other gods are going to screw you over. Mm. Sigma would probably screw you over. It'd be like, you're big and golden made of lightning now. But you're my slave. Yeah. Whereas Grungni, I think, would just make you... A nice thing. Like a a big monocle or something. Just like a super cool pair of bookends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A gun. Or a gun. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Next question uh, comes from uh, James, who writes... Hi, Chris and Tom. At the time of writing, it's a scant handful of nights until your soon-to-be legendary first official meetup. So... Dating this email somewhat. Particular question. Uh, and to help pass the time, I'm revisiting the back catalogue episodes from the beginning. As a rookie beginner to AOS, but a veteran of over a decade of tabletop wargaming, it's fun to hear your journey as players. Hmm. In the episodes where you first approached the idea of a meetup, Tom mentions that he'd like to be taught bolt action. Yeah. I'm a terrible bolt action player who frequently has his German foot soldiers run headlong into the guns of my friend's allies. So the task of teaching you shouldn't fall to me, but hopefully some other sufficiently skilled players up to the job. On this note, other than the usual GW favourites such as Kill Team and Shadespire, which other games from the broader tabletop hobby are tempting you with the possibility of tiny plastic soldiers in other tiny plastic wars? Uh, love the plod, love the plod, love the pod. It's a frequent companion for me on walks to and from work while grinding away at the ever-growing pile of hobby. And well, uh, thanks, James. Cool. So yes, other game systems that you might be tempted into. I feel like having had a big chat about not getting tempted into other things, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's always that temptation, right? And I think that bolt, uh, bolt action is in my future in some form, and Chip and I yeah. discussed it a lot. And like the stuff that's held me back from it, apart from just the obvious chain pile and expense reasons, it's just like, um, don't want to paint a Nazi. <laughs> don't, mm. don't want to paint half Nazi half track. <laughs> And I feel like so conflicted and weird about that that it really sort of puts. I know like this is my hang up, but like, no, I, I get it as well. Yeah, and, and as uh, there are so, like I'd, I'd play some like British commandos or something, or or you know some Russian soldiers, or whatever. But I don't know. I've read so much into that period of history that it's almost like too real to really be, be a game completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd be more likely to play like. Uh, like a classical historical or like a dark ages historical yeah vikings and saxons and stuff yeah just it's more removed from modern history in a way that yeah it doesn't impact directly on our time in as much a, a, as in such an intense way um but at the same time the that the game system looks rad looks really cool um and i'd, I'd certainly do some test games of it and maybe i'll probably <laughs> could overcome my hang-ups if, if the game's super super cool yeah yeah that'd be ace yeah maybe i i still think um Star Wars Legion may convince me to buy a couple extra models and play a little bit more of it. Yeah. I do like that game. Yeah, that seemed really nice that we yeah. did that test game. Our final question comes from Stuart, who writes, Howdy, Chris and Tom. You've both been hired by Games Workshop to oversee the narrative, art design, and creation of a new Primarch for the recently rediscovered 2nd and 11th Legions. Ooh, okay. How would you each go about integrating your new Legion into the 40k universe, and which side would they serve? Personally, I'd go for the maximum nerd rage option of making my new legion fully Lady Marines. Hmm. Uh, their leader is called Pandorus Vox, a chaos uh, primatriarch uh, designed, determined to antagonize the Imperium 
into total self-destruction. Lots of love, Stuart. I was going to say female Primarchs as well mm. um, for the remaining two, because I think that's kind of leaving some stuff on the table otherwise. Mm. But yeah, I think more about theme. Um, I think obviously like a good Space Marine Legion has a little echo of something from real history in it. Yeah. And because you've got your Romans, you've got your Egyptians, pretty much. You've got your vampires. You've got your wolfmen. Vampires, wolfmen, Vikings. Those famous human flaws. Yeah. Being a wolf. Uh, You've got your, you've got your gothy middle ages, middle aged, not middle aged, um, middle ages knight and monks. Yeah. Um, you've got your goths just in general. Um, I think, trying to think what sort of, uh, part of human history is not represented with a Primarch. Like, covered a lot of bases they have there's also like i think there's a, a, a human flaw element right that mm. each of the primarchs has like a terrible flaw that sort of to an extent defines the way they work and yeah apart from with perhaps the exception of Gulliman, but he, he's a, such a stickler for the rules and he's perhaps a bit inflexible compared to other yeah like there's always something right like there's a there's a, a human flaw yeah i'm trying to think what the um like what the most fun one would be <laughs> yeah. to kind of explore. Mm. I think I, I would kind of like to see a legion, like a loyalist legion that had a sort of like, almost like a overabundant self-confidence, but hadn't fallen mm. like a kind of more like, like a reverse Empress children. Almost. Yeah. Like, but, but with some of the same sort of like, we're really good at this. Like, yeah. And basically maybe themed after like pirates. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like not a, a, w- there must be a pirates. There isn't a pirates one. Uh, oh no! Exactly. Yeah. So maybe like some kind of sort of uh, you know, um, you know, female swashbuckling kind of charismatic primark. Um I'd go for that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I don't know how you'd express pirate. Really, but like faintly nautical. Yeah. Faintly nautical. Pirate Marines. Pirate Marines. That's my suggestion. Okay. Um, I can't think of any, uh, the only thing I can think of is l- the lazy Marines uh, and they embody the, the human trait of just can't be asked. And the reason <laughs> they haven't been discovered or participated <laughs> is because they just really didn't want to. And uh, they're apathetic and they're, they're amazing. They, they probably have some, the hottest golden age technology available and yeah. they just, that they don't even want to share it or really talk to anyone. And <laughs> they, they just don't want a few to plan. Good. You might be, you might be um, projecting a little bit there, Tom. Quite tired. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that is, um, that is all the questions we've got time for this month. We'll be back in the new year, more minis monthly. Absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, thanks again to uh, everyone who came to the event and sent us stuff and we'll, I'll, I'll work on some show notes for this episode to give a props where props are due for all the effort that's gone in. Yes. Um, <clears throat> obviously if you'd like to, um, find miniatures monthly on online, we're on creatingcrowbar.com. Uh, that's where you'll find those show notes. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Minis Monthly. Um, and you can find us individually po- posting pictures of the same Battle <laughs> Fortress miniatures. Painted very similarly. <laughs> Painted very similarly on Instagram, uh, where I can be found at uh, Exit Warp. 
and I am at uh, Ludo Paints Minis, and that's L-U-D-O Paints Minis. Lovely. Mm. Thank you mm. for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening.